miracle, who are you? Who are you? You miserable, presumptuous, no talent. You're no artist. An artist respects the silence and serves the foundation of creativity. Obviously, you don't have the talent. You don't have enough respect for yourself or other people, or what it is to express yourself. In music, really, are the form of creativity. And I'm an NYU film school graduate, sucker, and the School of Visual Arts in the Academy of Art University in San Francisco. You suck. You are no talent. If you really had talent, go practice to get yourself a gig instead of ruining the end of the day for everybody down here. You disgrace. Gone wrong in this world. You're a self-consumed, no talent, mediocre piece of shit. And I've earned my right to say it. Okay? I had 200,000 people with girlfriend. 1975. I walked Bob Dylan up on stage. Who the fuck are you? I knew the Grateful Dead from 1966. Who the fuck are you? You nothing. Hello and welcome to another episode of Hot Singles, the world's only autogynophilic music podcast. <laughs> I am joined. That got a bigger yell than I was expecting. Uh, say hello, Boo. Hi. Oh my god. <laughs> Do you know what a great way to start. Hello. Yeah, I'm good. I'm uh, good. And who's uh, this? Who's this? Hark. Who is this? Uh, who is this? Uh, this is our very special guest, Jackie. Please introduce yourself. Hi, Jackie. Hi. Hi, I'm Jackie. Uh, I I have um, you. You may know me as Horse Under. Oh, oh my! My dog just came in the room. Phoebe, you're not supposed to be in here. You're interrupting my intro to the podcast. Hello, hello. Okay, hold on one second. You guys banter real quick. This is staged. This is staged. <laughs> this is content. This is staged. This is highly, highly illegal to, yeah. like, sabotage your own podcast introduction with cute dog moments. Hashtag cute dog moments. Clearly, this is a ploy to get become endearing oh and popular Ugh. with our fans. Okay, that is the second time Phoebe has tried to interrupt me podcasting this weekend, and this time she was successful. <laughs> Hello. Damn. I mean, I, I simply think this was a very good, successful ploy, appearing like personable and endearing. No, exactly. Phoebe, I've so. already, I've already interviewed. I'm now, it's I'm, now I'm it's your content. your parasocial friend that you know through the internet. Hello, welcome. I'm Jackie. Uh, I am the co-host of the Indie Heads podcast. I, you may know me from Twitter at horse underscore jeans, DJ horse jeans, etc. I write sometimes for Pace Magazine. I wrote recently for Paper Magazine. I, my words and voice are about the internet never shutting up about music, and now I have infiltrated this feed. Hello. It's an, an honor to Hello. be here. I, I, I listen to this podcast quite regularly now, and am a big fan, so very excited to be on. Hell yeah. Um, and this is after me and Boo were on the Indie Heads pod. Yes, exactly. About, we're doing one a, of the, did a little home and away. Yeah. One of the um, best new best new podcast episodes. On. Yes, which was very, we, very we, fun. We were on there to talk about Harlem Shake for 30 minutes. It, I mean, that uh, was that was the headlining <laughs> event of that episode for sure. I mean. I'm still disappointed that like I was I was having all these like recent debates about like there's some real highlights and the other 
on the other the other things and Nambu's just like right I have a funny story to tell about Harlem Shake and that was our decision I mean that that was a done. that was a really great microcosm of what you both bring to hot singles like I mean yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's true it's very true although, although, although Boo's, um, Boo's got points to make I think Boo Boo you sell yourself short you it's there 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 are two people in this call that agree with that and neither of them are me <laughs> Hey, what? You know what? Spe- speaking of speaking of bringing, what did y'all bring? Oh, uh, that's a great question. First, first up is my pick, which is Hate Rock's uh, Psychic Nine to Five Club. Is that how you say that? Uh, Hate Rock, yeah. Gotcha. Um, okay. I, I, I like anyone saying HCRK is probably entirely within their rights, but yeah, Hate Rock is the I think. Gotcha. Okay. The, the in the nose say it, Hate Rock. Um, mm-hmm. What have you brought, Jack? I have brought um, the album Cold House by the uh, band Hood. Um, might have heard of them, probably have not. I'm going to go and guess, guess that most people have not, but that's okay, because I'm going to talk at length. That's about... you, you, got the, you, got the, you got the underrated I have, I have two. I have literally too much context, because this is a, a, a little like trap door that I opened on the internet three years ago, not learning that there was an entire hidden world underneath this band that has terrible SEO, oh and, and, and we will get into it. Hell yeah! Yeah, and the SEO really is awful. we can't even yeah we can't even get into that. Like that's that's a whole discussion <laughs> of, of how terrible it, how hard it is to even look up the the music of this band and listen to it. Let alone uh, how hard it was for them to be successful at the time, which we will get to. Yeah, cool. Uh, what have you brought, Brew? Brew. Brew cannon. Typo Bru- in the Bru- group cannon. chat. <laughs> Light her uh, fucking ass up. No, uh, I brought, uh, I brought what would normally be, uh, an artist's, like, single best record, but exists as the transitionary point for this artist, Eve Toomer's Safe in the Hands of Love, which yeah. might be my favorite album ever. I will get we'll into it. We'll find out. I... We will find out. It's a freaking album. It's a freaking album. Pretty, we'll find pretty, out. We'll find out. Good album. We got a lot of. We got. We got a lot of. We good do. Albums. We got some. We got some. We got some heaters to get through. Rex, why don't you kick us Woo. off?
Australian two-piece band um, if you put out the album Psychic 95 Club in I think 2015 if I remember correctly I should bring up all the bio information before I start just talking um, I want to just like the reason I know about this album is because Resident Advisor freaked the fuck out about it like I'll put that on the table like whoever was doing the review for it said it was very good I listened to it and I believed them I think this is a genuinely wonderful record because it is like lived with me as one of my like deep emotional like I'm I'm not necessarily at an idea but just like plumbing the depths this is an album to plumb the depths with um it is cold it is stark it is empty it is like what if someone like took the the new order approach to post-punk and turned the dial through 11 to 21 um and added a couple dub delays as a as a sort of like fun respite um i think this is a genuinely near perfect album i just want to like get like an emotional beat from you two before mm-hmm. i just like jump Go in ahead. with the bio stuff because there's like a bunch of like backstory that's like gonna color it but yeah mm-hmm. like how did you get on with the with the vibe okay so i will say that part of the reason so i picked a different hood album that i was originally planning on bringing and part of that was is that like I brought I, I brought up the idea of Hood to you partly because I was just trying to take your temperature on whether you knew Hood, but also I um, wanted to like I wanted to talk a little bit about the idea of slowcore and you brought this record up and I was and I was like okay let's let's do this and then I listened to the album and I was like well this is not what I was thinking of slowcore wise like I was uh-huh. thinking of a very different kind I was thinking of very much a guitar oriented sound and so when i heard this yeah, yeah. when i heard this more electronic sound i was like oh i should talk about cold house instead because that's their most electronic yeah, yeah. album um but uh regardless of that like once i got over like what what i was expecting it to sound like and then having the like you know the like science thing where like if you blindfold someone and give them orange juice and tell that it's milk tell them it's milk and then they drink orange juice they'll throw up because <laughs> Their their brain is like <laughs> expecting it to taste one way, and they're just like, "This is wrong. Get rid of it." Like, so like that's sort of what can happen with music is like if you're told it's gonna sound one way, and you're just like, "What? What?" So I, I but then I listened to it a couple more times on the actually my flight back from Pitchfork. Uh, this album is really, 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 really good. I would have loved this if I had gotten into it in 2014. This was like so in the bag of I'm I'm a huge uh, Shlomo fan. Is like one of my uh-huh. very formative young artists and like stuff like this that is taking 
inspiration from atmospheric styles of indie rock and is sort of like, what if we did this in an electronic beat style context? Uh, that shit's really cool. I'm always into that stuff. Like, it, it, it very much appeals to me, and I thought that this record was... Um, it it kind of blurred together the first couple of times. Like, I was partly because I was, like, listening on a plane, but, like, partly because, like... Um, a lot of these tracks just like blend so well together into each other vibe wise that it, my first impression was just sort of like, well, I'm not sure exactly which songs really stick out to me there, but boy, it all sounded nice. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and over time, I think I've latched onto a couple that are like, oh, this is a really good track. But yes, absolutely. Yeah. Boo, Pro. Boo, do you want to like do the, uh, do the, yeah, the, 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 the vibe gut check was basically, I listened to this. Uh, in full uh, during my commute on the SkyTrain, it's I I had, it's I had a very uh, a Jackie esque experience. I will say, uh, I was just listening to this on like my subway train. Uh, listening to this, I was like, "Dang, this is just this is like super. This is kind of like really subdued, but like there's a lot going on under the hood." Was what I yeah. felt. I was like, "Dang, this is like, yeah." I will say immediately one of the yeah. first things I thought of is. Um, the more recent work of Kelly Lee Owens is something that yeah. I thought about that's, as that's a, a as a tech, as a sort of counterpoint in, in a similar way where Kelly Lee Owens is taking so, like basically stuff like Portishead, but like what if we tran- translated that to like the world of kind of more modern ambient electronic sounds, and that being the sort and like taking yeah sort of like these dreamy indie rock styles and these R&B styles and taking that and being like in a similar way to like we talked a little bit about I believe a James Blake song on mm-hmm. on, on the Best New Pod episode yeah, a similar sort of thing where I'm like okay I'm really seeing how the the subtler club music influences because there aren't a lot of like heavy beats on this record it, it, it's very very dubby like you're saying and very yeah um, I really love the um the percussive element of Blue Sunshine, because, like, Blue Sunshine is this track that's, like, a great example of something that's, like, kind of upbeat in its tempo, but it doesn't have that kick to it, so because of that, it has this weird washed-out quality over it where it's, like, it's fast and slow at the same time, essentially. Like, it... Yep. it it's very... There's a lot of tracks in this on this record that play in those weird uh, spaces between the exactly, different elements. Yeah. And, yeah, that that is... What both is makes it really amazing, but also makes it kind of hard to latch onto things the first time because you are kind of floating through it. Yeah, totally. Like this is an album that like I come back to all the time because it's got a sense of activity and pressure about it. Like mm-hmm. the amount of just like sub weight that is just hitting you constantly in a bunch of these tracks. Oh, totally. While I, never I need to actually big like speakers is what I need to do. Yeah, yes. Give it, give it up on big speakers is one of the like best experiences you can actually have because again, it's that it's very much that trip up thing. Um, yeah, exactly that, where, where you like get the pressure, you get the wave of intensity, but without mm-hmm. the like organizing force around it to like really like anchor you in place, mm-hmm. which is one one of the most like beautifully disorienting experiences. So yeah, like being able to manage both like stuff that expands beyond like a four bars phrase in the way it develops like a lot of these tracks have that sort of like progressive very um unstructured development patterns but are just like still able to provide that like pressure and intensity from totally you know like filling out that like rattling bottom end bottom end um 
Yeah, just, that, just to tie a bow on that particular boy, yeah. The, um, the thing that I needed to, like, put on the table, though, mm-hmm. is, like, this group was a trio, mm-hmm. um, and one of the members, sadly, took their own life, like, in 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, they only really, like, exploded... I say exploded, like, they're not a huge band, but they've, like, progressively got bigger and bigger, have done more interesting, more ambitious projects over time but only really after one of their members died. And, like, it really decisively changed their sound. Like, mm-hmm. the their first record is... How could I describe it? Like, noisier. Makes me think of Sushi quite a lot. Um, mm-hmm. More spacey, uh, if, that's a, if that's a way of explaining it. And that, like, lingers on in the stuff that they, like, put out just immediately after, after their basis passing, which is an album called Work, Work, Work. Um... It feels like they hadn't really, like, emotionally processed the thing in the sound. And Mm -hmm. this, for me, feels like an album that works through grief very specifically in a really, really, like, quite dramatic and wondrous way. Because, very specifically, it is dried up so much. It is not noisy. It is not splashy. Mm -hmm. Um, It is dry delay loops that get really, like, anxious and twisty without ever getting overwhelming and noisy. And it is pressure without a, this like mooring, and for that it's I, just the thing. It's one of the most like emotionally desperate albums that I've ever listened to. Yes, um, yes, that that's a that that is a great like vibe for this. I think like what what you said, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so just like the, the the idea that like so so like bunch of conversations we've already had this like. I jokingly called this a post-punk album, and I think you took that slightly or, or more legit than I intended. Album. No, 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 no. Yeah, no, but no, but I, I, I immediately like once I got over that initial shock, I, I got what you meant by it. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, just, yes. just like, what are you, what, like, what are you hearing? Because I'm like interested, in the, interested in like your take on like how you'd like bring it. To... Well, I was just the, uh, comparing it immediately to. The, Hood, which is kind of how I was, I was thinking about that. Is the thing that mm-hmm. is interesting about Hood is that, as they, without just getting into that whole conversation, they, um, they always have guitar as a central element of their music, no matter how electronic it gets, or and like mm-hmm. kind of rock-based songwriting in a very literal way, because their guitar tones were such a key part of their sound that even if as they added other things, in a similar sort of way to Radiohead, where like, even when Radiohead quote-unquote like abandoned guitars on Kid A, like th- guitar-type songwriting was still very much part of yeah, the yeah. way that they were thinking which is very much how I think about Hood in a similar way, even though, as we'll get into with Hood, Hood <laughs> often really struggle to describe what their music sounds like or how to market themselves, and they say, we usually say something like Radiohead, which none of us like Radiohead, but us- people usually <laughs> people usually get the gist of what we mean when we say Radiohead. Um, yeah, and, um, alt-type, guitar-type. E- exactly, yeah. yes. So, like, yeah. um, I think that it's it's just that, is that, like, when I think about slowcore as a genre, I'm specifically talking about all the different variations of that style of rock music with guitars, of which there can be various styles of guitars from very clean to very shoegazy, but like, I, I, I don't usually think of electronic records as being in this mold, although, like I immediately identified, I do like stuff 
that is blending the nebula zones between them. Like the new Shlomo record, I think is maybe his best record he's ever done because it like goes all the way from the like flying Lotus beat stuff to like heavy sludge metal and like guitar sounds. And the guitars started working into Shlomo's sound over time. Like they were on dark red too, but like, um, uh, in general, I, I do like stuff that exists in that kind of gray area. So I think this, right, this, record was very much up my alley. I was just sort of like going into it, thinking about it, the genre in a little bit more of a rigid way, even though I do like stuff that is not outside of that kind of definition based. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I'll say like it, entirely on that tip the, the only record that has given me the same vibe as this, but just an entirely different lame is the, like the last two low records, which. Oh like, yes. No, totally. And I mean, low is one of low, low is one of the artists I, I, I do first think of when I think of slow core, like they are on the kind of top five. List exactly. Of, yeah. Totally. Um, but the, I mean, we talked about, um, uh, Hey, what, on yeah. um, one of the older recent episodes yes that was a good conversation yes. yeah and and what i mean the, the thing very specifically that like it's almost treading the line where like whether this is or isn't written as a guitar track starts to become slightly meaningless because like totally the tones probably are coming from a guitar but they're it doesn't matter in yeah it barely it barely matters or it's been abstracted out of the the like fabric of the track exactly um, yeah Whereas this is coming from the other other direction, uh, other direction, which is like st- having stripped out the instrumentation so thoroughly that like it builds back towards a rock track without ever having the tools to do so. Yeah, which is which is that that is the crazy thing, and I think you identified this. It's like spacey isn't the right word to describe this music. It is very dense, like the mix of it, but at the yeah. same time, there's not a lot of like what you would think of as sort of grounding elements like there the bass lines are not really like being played in a in a very like you're playing a physical bass sort of melodic way they're very like like you're saying like sub bassy like these kind of like tectonic plates that are shifting underneath and then all of the melodic elements are very reverbed out and they're very like like textural in terms of like creating these atmospheres, but the atmospheres don't feel like a kind of open space dreamy feel in like a beach house way. They feel like you're saying kind of claustrophobic, um, which, uh, the, which the, I, like, I, I think the ca- the pre- pressure is the thing I always use to characterize. That, that's a though, great, like, that's a great, yeah. Metaphor. For it. And I, I think that really exactly what you're saying is what prevents these songs from feeling like similar kind of, electronic R&B sounds from this time that do feel a little more like, like you're saying, less heavy. Like they feel more like, oh, it's just trying to be kind of pretty or, or sexy or whatever. And this feels a lot more doomy, even though the tones are so much prettier than you would think of as something you'd be describing yeah. as doomy. You know what I mean? And I mean, that's exactly the tension where like, this is, this feels like desperate and desolate with it. Like it's not airy. It is, like exactly tense tense and angry while still being genuinely really beautiful exactly and that's just a chance of like the vocal performances on this are like genuinely really stunning very good i think at least. i would agree um i was trying to think who yeah. she reminds me of i'd have to listen again uh, i don't have an obvious like go-to reference point um the Oh, uh, you know what's reminded me of a little bit now I'm listening? Have you listened to um, that Sassy 09 tape that came out last year? 
Uh, it's Ooh, very no. good. It's very good. Like um, Sassy O Nine stuff is much more pop oriented, but like some of the similar like kind of R and B inspired vocalizations that I, I hear in in this album mm. remind me of some of my favorite stuff. It, it's technically classified as an EP called Heart Ego. I can drop it in the chat, but um, yeah, do it, do it. If you the song I'm thinking of is Wannabe from that album, or if I can find it on YouTube if you're not a Spotify person. Uh, oh, this track just slaps. I, it's I really good. Immediately, um, yes. Yeah, um, is it just like, given where the, the texture of all the synths is, like, not, like, if there's one thing that marks out the difference is that, like, watery texture, the phased multi-track texture. Yes, the exactly. Stuff. Yeah, exactly. And that's the watery thing, is the right One thing word. that isn't carrot. Because it is, it is fluid, like the textures are all fluid, but they don't feel airy, they don't feel open in a fluid way, they feel like, you're using the word pressure, it's like this album is essentially like the bottom of the ocean, basically. It's like, yeah. you can move freely, and there's, there's that fluidity, but it, but it is not um, opening up at all. Yeah, it's, it's weird when I hear this, like, the vocals the one thing that doesn't get this, that, that treatment mm. in the whole record, like, the yeah, vocals totally. are like dry and well not not dry but they are like straightforward and present in a way that most of everything else in the yeah they, 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 they let the they let the vocals sit on top which i think yeah. is the way to i think i think there's sort of two ways to go with this sort of like yeah bury bury um, in there or like like use as a platform like uh did you listen to the maria bc album from earlier this year by any chance um, no that's not oh anymore. this is i think you will like this um maria bc uh, I forget what label um, it came out on. Uh, it, m- my friend Ted Davis wrote about it for Bandcamp was how it first got on my radar. High Align is the name of the record. Yeah. And uh, she makes music that is similar to like a grouper or a midwife in that it is very like dreamy but overcast and very like uh, atmosphere mood focused. But the, diff- the, the huge difference that I think differentiates Maria B.C. from, say, like a midwife is that midwife buries her vocals and her songwriting like in the ocean of sound. Whereas if you listen to just like the first song on the Maria B.C. album, No Reason, like she's like ice skating on top of the song is how I describe it to people. It's just like she's she's floating over the top of it in a way that you can always very clearly hear her. But she's also like gliding across it in a very effortless way that really suits the atmosphere-focused, like, background instrumentation of the record and the fact that the record, if you listen to it, like, all of the songs transition into the next song in this very seamless way, in a way that it, that does remind me a little bit of this, of this record, uh, A 9 to 5 Psychic Club, that, like, Having a vocal that, and it also Kelly Lee Owens does a similar thing with this, where it's like you've got these very kind of washed out instrumentals, and then you let the vocal. Your choice is either do you want to wash the vocal out completely with the rest of it, which is what Midwife does, where like it sounds like Midwife is trapped inside her guitar essentially, like <laughs> um, because she uses like. Uh, I haven't, still haven't seen her live, and I'm so upset about it because apparently her live mic is literally like a rotary phone. Like, like she just uses like the fucking like 
weirdest and, and tinniest mics possible because she's not trying to make you clearly hear her voice. She's trying to subsume her voice into the same ocean of feedback that she's like creating around it. Whereas Murray ABC or uh, a Hate Rock Club or, 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 or like any any of these other, the other approach is sort of to like let the vocals just kind of gracefully sit atop it. Uh, and I think yeah. it works. I think it works really well for this record in particular. Yeah, no. Think about having seen Grouper Live, where Liz Harris does have a tape deck that she's driving most of the stuff that's on stage, but particularly yeah. the vocals through. Like all the all the the vocals get the tape loop effect applied with it and glues it, and sm- mm-hmm. smushes it right into the the rest of the mix. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Just want to like. For me, this album's, like, really emotionally, like, deep and significant. I just, like, did you end up actually catching moments from it? Because you've done a lot of talking about, like, the, the I, feel, the I vibe. Will, I will like, say, yeah, I, I don't think I've spent... And probably just because I, I should do... A, I, should, I probably should have done a listen-through, like, with the lyrics handy. Because this is definitely one mm-hmm. of those records that it's, like, if you're... If, if you're using it as sort of not even background music, but just sort of music that is on while you're not like really locked in. And even if I, I was just listening to it for the first time, but even still, like there's so much going on sonically that I was a little less like fixated in on the lyrics. But like, I definitely do. There, the, I'm trying to remember, but there were definitely moments where it was like I could tell that this was a sad record. Like I definitely was picking yeah. picking up on some of the the influences up and, and and the emotion the undergirding emotions of it even if like the actual songwriting didn't quite stick with me on my first couple of yeah, listens that's fair uh boo are, are there any like tracks you want to pull out on this uh it's honestly right now i've just been like listening to soul sleep on repeat and just Dawn like is good yeah uh, like uh, oscillating slightly in my chair yeah uh it's also it like devastating lyrics on that on that song yeah the, yeah. the, the line uh, you sink the sun that i dream on uh oh dude a- yes. am i in the wrong am i losing ground Oof. like i'm just dang that's re- it's the like literally it's the the it's i not to not to bring this back to the the discussion of the records vibe again but like it's I'm I'm literally it's I'm in the back of the club arms nodding but like arms folded but my head is like nodding so I'm like yeah. yep that's real shit this is real shit yeah straight facts oh god so I mean, I mean this is one of those like incredible production moments where like I don't know how they've managed to just like something in the synth design is like constructing a top line out of like changing the harmonic color of that synth like I don't even know how to describe it. I will put the, the clip in the in the in the edit. with my brain because it's such like subtle and careful tiny little synth manipulations that like construct this like big sweeping emotional dramatic art out of that track I mm-hmm. totally think it's pretty fucking special yeah 
You don't even, um, you don't even notice how subtle a lot of the movements are because they, exactly, they, they yeah. communicate so effectively. And also, as yeah. I'm, I just pulled up the lyrics and I'm looking at stuff here, like I'm looking at the Wet Dream lyrics right now, uh, the midwife comparison is now even more sticking with me because, like, this is so similar to, and I'm forgetting, uh, forgetting her her first name, uh, but the artist uh, behind Midwife, her songwriting style is so like, every Midwife song is like four lines, and like usually mm-hmm. those four lines like each are repeated three times or whatever, like maybe the same one over and over again, then the next one, or maybe it's just like one verse that gets repeated like four times, and somehow she can communicate an entire feeling and thought just like repeating and because there aren't that many words in general like the song is pretty sparse in construction and then also because among the words that are there a lot of them are repeated it gives each word and each phrase especially because they're chosen so perfectly like all this extra weight and like a song like wet dream where just like so many of the lyrics are i'm in love with myself i'm in love with myself it double shifts my time all the time like just repeated over and over again like they just keep kind of ringing in your head and it allows them to pick up more meaning as you're sort of and i think that really really fits with the sort of atmospheric song structure in the same way it does with midwife is because with midwife songs it feels like those lyrics that she has are like these haunted things that are ringing throughout the house of this track that like and that that being such a like powerful songwriting style that that if you can write your couple of lyrics so well that you just don't even need to say anything else you're just like uh uh Vince Staples around the world say the same he says the same thing over and over again now that's lyricism <laughs> like essentially it's the it's the same thing here it's like if you can yeah. be that br- that concise with your emotional like clarity you can let these single thoughts just like drift out for the length of an entire song and like really ruminate yeah. with someone. Yeah, and again, like the the emotional precision is kind of stunning given this is absolutely an album about processing like a really close friend's death. I, totally. I mean, in part, it's it's many other things as well, but like, mm-hmm. yeah. Got to talk about Chinatown style. Oh, um, yes, absolutely. Yep. Like, the sub line is incredible. Um, it's got that like slightly, slightly distorted um, kick drum thing where like yeah, it's a little. It's it sounds like it's clipping. Like it's, yeah, it's it sounds it's, a little fuzzy, but it's not. Yeah, it's it's the like classic when you take a sine wave just over the limit and it starts sounding like the coolest fucking thing in the world. It's just immensely pleasant. Um, but yeah, you know what? I got mood swings that you and I can't dream on. You know, I got mood swings that I got no control of. Like, the, the most, like, devastatingly, like, intimate and also terrifying thing. Totally. I, I, yeah, I, I cannot get this track out of my head. Like, for me, it's Give It Up and Chinatown style. They're, like, the two, like, it, there's, there's no, there's no accident that those are the two tracks that are the most extremely, like, sub and emptiness that swells around it. Um, mm-hmm. like, the, the emotional clarity and the, like, again, baseline pressure coming from from that sub stuff is just like that that's it's warmed into my brain um but yeah it's just like it feels like such a special thing to be able to to find in chess specifically because like the emotional space of like that like very careful slow processing and like yeah if grouper and um us like that are like 
vague reference points that swell in this space, or indeed on the other side, low, um, for like slow call through ambient artists that are dealing with this kind of mode of songwriting, to have someone who can do it with this like weird combination of brightness and like depth, I just find genuinely remarkable. So, okay, with all this said, like, Incredible album. I now want to play you the first track on their latest record. Please. Like, well, we'll, you'll get the classic Hot Singles 3-2-1 thing. Um, uh, Excellent. From uh, uh, Which song from Death is a Dream? I've saved this album, by the way. I'm going to check out oh, this new one. It, that is the off-cuts, uh, like, demo reel version of the new album, which is called Rhinestones. Um, gotcha. I've linked Linked in the chat, the first track is Kiss, Kiss and Rhinestones. We can 3, 2, 1 it. Okay. Uh, 3, 2, 1. Go. Hmm. Love a good guitar hit. I can make you glitter. I, I can make Ooh. you feel glitter than this. I can make you glitter. I can make you feel Kind of the Maria BC album a little bit, yeah. Mm. As soon as you um, pulled that record up, I was amazed, like, oh yeah, no, I do need to show you what they're doing right now. Absolutely. So when I um, saw them live about a month, six weeks ago, um, they have a SP404 on the stage, pass guitars and basses back and forth between each other. Wow. Um, I rock. Um, I'm, su- I'm such a sucker. For bands switching instruments, I've realized this reason. I realized yeah. it at, at the Squid show. Uh, I don't know if either either of you have seen Squid live. Probably more <laughs> no, likely. No, not so. Oh. Okay, so um, obviously their singer is their drummer, which is a fun bit to do in general. But then yeah. you've got basically their new album. They change arrangements on a Radiohead like regularity. Um, and so during the Squid show, I saw three different people played bass. Um, and like sometimes the synth guy is the cello guy and sometimes the synth guy is playing bass and sometimes the guitarist is playing bass and sometimes the bassist is like they, they do a musical chairs after almost every song uh, and it rocks hell yeah I mean this is very simple because it's two people on stage literally just like trading back some, I, it's either yeah. one's got an acoustic and the other's got nothing or like one's, the other's got the acoustic and the other's got a guitar or oh wait there's a bass where did that come from and like simple not not quite that level of like expanding the whole thing out. So the funny thing is when I saw this them live, gorgeous, and like, I really like this. It's an incredible track. The the the, thing, the bizarre thing though was just like having played uh like half a set which is like somewhere between these two poles of mm-hmm. like a near entire electronic and feeding um like played bass or played acoustic um no, yeah, totally. into this sound world. When they played this it was this like incredibly careful, beautiful moment. And then she just, the singer just says at the end, um, oh, we make it sound like a rodeo bar in here. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's, that's why it rules. It's, it's why it rules. It's just that like somehow you can, to be clear, like this in no way steps out of the like overall aesthetic space that, that we're in. Like it's still intensely quiet and intensely careful, very particular and, keeps in all the dubby elements and uh, like electronic stuff it just so happens to have an acoustic guitar in this like 
this sort of weird gesture towards like a country folk song. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like the <laughs> God, I see Bandcamp's recommendations for me are Shade by Grouper and Everywhere at the End of Time by the Caretaker. Oh. oh. We were doing okay. so good. We were doing so well. Um but yeah, no the the, the whole point being that like the the like really subtle emotional shift as soon as you change instrumentation was supposedly meant to conjure this like whole elaborate world while like effectively like in terms of the way they carried themselves on stage in terms of the sounds that were coming out the back of the the 404 in terms of the actual instruments being used literally nothing had changed I just found it very funny that like <laughs> yeah, tiny no, songwriting tweaks could like swing it very slightly um but i mean hey this is like you don't get any like you don't get like any substantively rhythmic um melody parts against the vocals you're right you, you, on psyche nine to five club you just th- don't th- there are no there are no like melodic bass lines and there aren't really any like st- sturdy beats that are meant to be like the skeleton that the whole thing is based on like that that's usually that's like i think what differentiates this from like kelly lee owens who yeah i think does it really really tastefully and specifically but she's always giving you even if it's very faint and like a heartbeat she's giving you the kind of four four club structure that she's then gently like creating these atmospheres on top of and like hanging them over which this is very different than that like it's much yeah. mur- it's much murkier um, it's so like even in tracks like Blue Sunshine and Soul Sleep, where they have it to yes. slight degrees, they're like still really indefinite and like also lacking in like melody lines that cut. Well, like, like you were saying with with Blue Sunshine, yeah. like it's there, but it's almost working in contrast with whatever. Like yeah. it's it, it's like a real um, like rubbing your belly and patting your head at the same time thing. <laughs> like like. You've got the beat doing one thing, and, and all the, the, the atmospheres are kind of pulling you in the opposite direction in a very satisfying way. Yeah. Um, and then as soon as you get just, like, finger picks acoustic guitar. Oh, yes. Like, it's it's just got an entirely different relationship to a vocal. Oh, it, it's, and, so, it's so fascinating. No, yeah. I, I think, yeah. I mean, we were talking a little bit about Yule right before, but that's, like, mm. a similar sort of thing where the Yule album is it spends the first like however many songs in this super abstract synth pop sort of zone and then all of a sudden uh the track was it called uh don't be so hard on your own beauty comes on and that song is literally like a acoustic guitar um kind of almost chiptuned like emo song essentially that just like comes in like halfway through the record and all of a sudden hearing their voice i'll link it in the chat if you haven't heard it but hearing their voice uh in uh this context all of a sudden you're just like oh wow that's so uh fascinating and i love records uh that can like do that like in the in the midstream like not even from record to record but like from moment to moment you can just be like oh my god this is like this all of a sudden exactly the same the relation to vocal like uh, I don't know if you've listened to the, the whole album, yeah. Watch Princess, but this song in particular, like, from the moment it starts, and this was, like, the highlight of the live set. This is what everyone was waiting for. Like, uh-huh. from the moment it starts, all of a sudden, it's a complete different... And also, it's sort of a, a, a weird, like, kind of left-turn single that doesn't actually tell you what the album's going to sound like and also signals toward an even poppier direction for Yule, but also, like, uh-huh. it so fits 
the the rest of the album that when it comes on you don't feel like oh this feels out of place it feels very much just like oh all of a sudden you just tweaked a couple of things and now I have a completely different relationship to what I'm hearing right now yeah, yeah. also this music video fucking rocks can I just say yeah. I, I, I should have come back to this sooner it's you're, you're seeing immediately why uh, seeing Yule in the round was absolutely insane because their dance choreography is like as good as their vocals and it's 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 really nuts. Anyways, that yeah, but no, I I totally I, I get exactly like what you're saying, especially now that we've had the conversation. Like I definitely understand why you reach for this and I and I think it, yeah. it it led to a more interesting conversation than if it had just been like let's talk about a codeine album even though I I, yes. I, I love codeine big fan um but no yeah totally like I, I I am really much a fan of that kind of bread and butter guitar based slowcore sound but I think a lot of my favorite artists that dabble in that world are blending it with one other kind of music or another like you've got like Songs Ohai, who I just started getting into the first time this year, is like going in the exact opposite direction, which is like let's bring the folk and country influence way, way more present into this already guitar-based sound versus this, which is like let's take the guitars out of this entirely. Or like, oh, also, have you ever listened to Love Lies Crushing? That's another artist I should have brought up with this. All one word. Recognize. It's a name I recognize. So they're, they're a, a 90s shoegaze artist that was one of the first artists to go, like, basically making proto-ambient music. Like, listen to Baby's Breath, the first song from uh, Blow yeah. Eyelash Wish. And it is just, like, wall of fuzz and that's it. Like, the whole song is the fuzz. It's There's yeah. no riffs. It's just these ambient constructions of shoegaze music. And they have oh, God, gentle vocals good. over the top of it, but not real pop structures in any kind of definable way. And uh, uh-huh. really, really, like, not only incredibly gorgeous, beautiful music to listen to still, like, Baby's Breath is one of my favorite shoegaze songs ever, but, like, um, still, to this day, feels so ahead of its time. Like, you could put out songs from this album and say, hey, this is the new Midwife song, and people would believe you, <laughs> because it is... It is yeah. Really, really so the, ahead of its time. Okay. So the reason I know about this is because another side project by... Is Scott Cortez part of the group or... I, I'm trying to figure out the relationship. Yeah, two primary members of the group are Scott Cortez and uh, Melissa Arpin uh, Um gotcha. Scott Cortez is a side project which put out this, which is one of the most like mind-spinning projects that I've ever come across. I... I'd, I'd, the reason that I knew about this is because I'd found the, si- sound, the, the side project and meant to check out the original stuff. Oh wow, fuck yes. That, that rules. Give so this, I, just, just poke this one very quickly. It I, is... am, I am seeing the words drum and bass combined with noise gaze guitar and I am you, already you are, like, are... I am bookmarking, I am, I am jotting furious notes down. <laughs> I, I will be back to this very shortly. Uh... Regs, I believe you've recommended me this Transient Stellar record a couple of times, and I have yeah. listened to it. It's good. Uh, it's crazy that it's when this came out. This came out August 25th, 2001. It's crazy that this guy already, like, cleared 99% of everything that has been uploaded to Bandcamp, like, decades before. No, it, it's fucking nuts. Like, like literally, oh, like, yeah. 
In East Lansing, Michigan, in 1991, this motherfucker was like, let me invite, let me invent ambient bandcamp shoegaze music. Like, yep. yeah. Uh, what with breaks what icons, and then they, and then they, and then by the time they got to side projects, they're like, "What if we also have breaks on it?" Which I, I said this before we were talking, but there are so many genres of music that could be improved with. What if there were also Amen breaks here, busting yep. in yeah. like the Kool Aid Man? Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, God! Oh. So, I mean, this... oh my God! I, I I laughed so hard when um I forget his name on Twitter um but. Uh, when Boris Johnson resigned with the them's the breaks yeah. thing and he was like DJs don't sample this challenge and immediately people of course took the them's oh, the breaks and used every it. single UK D&B artist just like, ran, ran to logic immediately like <laughs> uh, we are so predictable but never mind it, no it's, it's great it, I, I laughed so hard when someone finally uploaded the, 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 the them's it was great yeah um, um so I mean, okay, we 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 zoomed all the way around to like everything in the ambient slash electronic space. That we're in the we're in the right transition on. point, I think. Right yeah, now. we are. Um, hey, Rock's great group. Check great them out. Great group. Uh, yep. Now for my 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 corner that doesn't have way too much context at all to get into in one oh, segment. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to contain it. I'm going to contain it to <laughs> only the necessary stuff. Hey listeners, this is Alexis coming to you from the editing suite. I'm sorry to report that Jackie was unable to contain it. We hope this does not affect your experience of this podcast. Okay, we are talking about uh, Hood, obscure uh, British slowcore, post-rock, ambient, electronic, hip-hop question mark? Um, group is what I would describe them as. Uh, they are a very little known band from what I can tell that released, uh, this album and, and their couple of real major label albums on Domino in the very late nineties into the early two thousands. And they essentially to make a long story short are a band that kind of feels doomed to obscurity from literally the moment that the band is created. And they essentially have a series of almost catching the brass ring, but never ever being able to like escape um, sort of obscurity due to a variety of factors that we will get into. But they are a band that I stumbled into randomly on the internet one day because I just was on the Rate Your Music page for Slowcore and I saw the Cycles of Days and Seasons album cover and I was like, what's this? I'm going to click on this and I'm going to listen to it. And I didn't know that I was opening a portal to another dimension that led me to becoming perhaps the internet's number one hood expert that was not alive in Britain in, in, in like 1990 five to to 2001 like i'm the only person i am the only person with an american accent that cares about this band as much as i do essentially (laughs) um and i'm very excited i'm very excited that you don't know them because that's really confirming to me that they are as oh yeah genuinely they, they are as forgotten to time as i as i kind of have always felt like they were when i started getting into their music and part of that is because their name is just the word hood and if you can imagine if listener you haven't done this on your own yet um if you look up the word hood in any music streaming search 
uh, it makes it really hard to find this music. Just and terrible. also, terrible. On a, on a very on a very regular basis, you get a rap artist who uploads songs under the name Hood, and they end up on Hood's Spotify page as like, <laughs> oh, new, new song out now from uh, <laughs> slowcore band Hood. No, wait, no, this is just a rapper that's tr- so like, their music is intent. You kind of have to search for the album title first with basically every album that they have. And even then you have to add like hood music band domino. Like you have to add like four different other search terms to find it. But the album, the album we're talking about today is their most known album. It's their only album. Actually, no, they have two albums. They got pitchfork reviews and they got a review, uh, a review of their like reissue set. But this is their one album that got like mildly critically acclaimed essentially uh, and it's yeah. called Cold House. It came out in 2001. It just turned 20 years old last year. And we should listen to a song to get things kicked out. Let me, let me, what song should we start? Uh, we should. River Curls Around the Town. That would be, I, I was going to say um, either the first or second track probably. I would probably. Uh, I, was, yep. I was volunteering first track personally. Let's just do the first track. I think that's probably the right one to start with.
Okay, so we just we just we listened to the first track on Cold House, and there's a lot going on on that one first song because at this point in the band's career, without getting all the way into the the, the lore right away, like this band has a very interesting trajectory where they do not start with like 90% of the genre influences that they end up with because they uh-huh. start originally as a duo of just Chris and Richard Adams, uh, uh, two brothers from, let me pull up the Wikipedia page. So I'm not just they're from Leeds. Uh, and they started releasing music in the early nineties. I believe their first full length album is called cable linear traction, which is not on streaming. It was released on slumberland records, which is a, uh, Washington DC slash Oakland, California, American record label that put out some of stereo lab stuff in the nineties. And they also put out some other bands, including boy racer, which has members of hood in it, which we'll get to that fucking mess of who is in this band and what other bands are they in? Uh, but basically they start out as like slacker lo-fi indie is how I describe them. Let me just give you right off the bat, uh, a song from a very, very early hood record. So you can get an idea of like generally where we're coming at. This is a collapsing climate soul from one of their one albums that is on streaming early, which is Lee Faust, a million piece orchestra. And if you listen to this, like, you hear the same vocals and guitar style that like remains as the sort of central tenet of their music the whole way through. But like basically what happens over time is these two people become the center of a, of a orbit of musicians around them and the influence of all those other musicians and all the different styles that they sort of bring to the table becomes this soup that the band becomes over time until you get to cold house, which is an album I'm not sure. Do either of you know who the rapper who is on this first song is? Did you look it up? No. I no, not at all. Um, this is Yoni Wolf. Of of Y and um of Anti Records. Do you know Yoni Wolf at all? I've heard the name, but uh, there's no no big like. Whoa. So so uh, Yoni Wolf is the the leading member of the band Y question mark. That's like his his project that people really know him for. But he's like he is a is a rap slash indie guy like classic like of the kind of two thousands into twenty tens existing at the intersection of these two. He's associated with the label Anticon, which is a Los Angeles. Uh, hip-hop music label but like he is one of many many musicians that sort of gets folded into hood which is this sort of growing ensemble that basically starts out as this lo-fi duo and they have a number a ton of music that is released from like 1993 or 4 all the way through like the mid 90s that is all low they have this giant singles compilation that's on streaming that is like all a lot of songs that show up on some of these records, but also songs that don't show up on these records. Um, they have uh, just a ton of material from this time, even though all of it is this very soft-spoken, lo-fi, uh, like, proto-band-campy stuff, essentially. <laughs> um, but, like, what happens is, over time, they sort of become more and more of, like, a real rock band, quote-unquote, while also still being this very kind of inward-looking, very... 
And one of the key pieces of lore about this band is that the singer of this band said in an interview recently, he's like, every time I listen to our old records, I pray that somehow someone else has gone in and re-recorded all of my vocal parts and sang over them. Like, he's, he's like, every day I hope someone oh, else, no. we, we could go back <laughs> in time, and some, which is the most trans mood of all time. It's like very, <laughs> yes. it's very relatable in that way, but it's also like... The way I've described this to people, this band to people, is like, what if uh, Radiohead only made Amnesiac and couldn't sing? <laughs> Essentially. It's um, true. That's, like, that, like, that like, what, what if, what I if literally... Tom, what if Tom York uh, didn't have the voice of an angel and was just, like, awkwardly mumbling and whispering up on stage uh, in a way that was strangely compelling? <laughs> Yeah, no, I wanted, I wanted to be very careful about how I presented the singing performance is fucking awful. But, like, thank no, you. You've done it for it's bad, me. but, like, that is, the, that is the weird appeal about this band to me. Not that it's bad, but that, that, that this band feels like they were just doomed to not be successful. From, from the, mm-hmm. Like, everything I've read about this band is that, like, every single time they tried to tour outside the UK, it was a complete fucking disaster. And every time they tried to tour in the UK, it's not like they were shutting shit down. Like, they were always yeah. a, a, a niche concern. And what happened is that instead of... Because they, even though they have, like, really good pop, writing sort of instincts and they have these like really pretty memorable guitar lines they know that they're not rock stars they know that they are not rock stars in like the most profound british sort of way um and they over time just figure out a way to construct these sonic worlds that are so compelling and and like textured that you sort of the fact that the singing is so like timid and pitchy and like um kind of awkward gives it this sort of Elliot Smith early car seat headrest feeling of like I'm not supposed to be listening to this that this is yeah. like this kind of private sort of expression this is like vulnerable expression that is so only compounded when you're an American person living in Michigan in college and you're stumbling onto these records for the first time with absolutely no context of who these people are. Were they ever popular? Did anyone ever like them? Does anyone know who this band is? And like, essentially I get obsessed with the cycles of days and seasons and just go down this rabbit hole. Like I, I want to listen to this band and everything that they have done. And the rabbit hole goes really fucking deep. I am going to post something now in the Discord. It wouldn't be an appearance of an Indie Heads podcast member if I did not include a visual element on this audio podcast. But what I'm posting here is something that someone oh, made recently. And this is, a, this is a flowchart of the contributors to the, the, the members of the band Hood. And if you can see, it's color-coded by which ones are quote-unquote canon and which ones are not canon, as in God projects... I, Proce- this is it's insane, mm. right? And, the, and then so the hilarious thing about this is that you have all these people, all these musicians, all these bands. Not one of these fucking bands is anyone you, the listener, have ever heard of in your entire life. Like, this is a universe of these collaborators that came together for a couple of records and never even really realized their full potential. Like, the we can get into kind of the post- cold house material after this because i think it's all very 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 fascinating but like even on this record and the record before it they they have this very their uh, dramatic 
and they are like fatalists and you can tell by the music they are making that this band has always known that they were like doomed from the start like the, 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 <laughs> it's so sad this That's album so the, the album before this album so this album is their one that is the one that got like reviewed in pitchfork and got like a lot of positive critical reviews and a little bit of buzz that sort of fizzled out after that um the album before this is the one that includes the song called hood is finished cool so like they they have had this I, I it's very clear from the music that they made that they have this sort of doomed mentality but that but the the results of that is that when i heard hood is finished for the first time which is like the second hood song i ever heard and i will throw in the chat right here because it's one of my favorites of theirs it had this incredible effect of i'm stumbling across this thing that was forgotten and aesthetically like feels like it was meant to be forgot like we can get into yeah. the whole discussion of hauntology in a second <laughs> like we, we, we can we can open that can of worms but like this song, and when you add in the incredible, incredible artwork of the cycles of days and seasons, which is one of my favorite bits of like photography as album artwork of all time, it just looks like what it sounds like in the most perfect way. It's gray. It's slightly out of focus, but there's elements of it that are in focus. It's like the grass is just dead. The sky is overcast. Like this, this song is what I imagine Britain to be like in general. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> Not incorrect, so... No, it's... But, like, the, 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 the sort of pastoral quality of it and, like, all of this just gives you the... And when you add that into sort of how I'm engaging with it as this sort of weird mm-hmm. internet artifact, it makes it feel like this is music you were, like, not meant to hear. That no, no one who made this had the intention that people would be listening to it on the internet years from now. A, because the internet did not exist when this band was formed, which is why they have a name that is so anti-internet it like hurts but also this band like you get the sense that if they had come up in the internet age it's not like they would have picked a good seo name you know what i mean like this is a band that even though they have such a grand ambition that sort of reveals itself over their later period records they also it had never had any illusions that they were going to be popular and that they were going to be embraced in a real way. And so as a result, they, I just have this, like, fascinating relationship with this band of, like, you s- essentially exist outside of, like, musical context, and you exist as this, like, sonic world that I get to explore and dink around. And as this flowchart that uh, I've posted in the chat shows, like, there are so many different bands and rabbit holes you can go down. So, like, the main people here, so there's Chris and Richard Adams, which were the, the brothers, the main sort of characters of Hood, the, the sons of which this, this orbits around. They don't make music together anymore. They both release solo music now, but it does not seem to be like a, there was a contentious breakup and now the brothers aren't cool anymore. Like, Hood has started having an active Twitter account again recently, and actually, it does seem like there's been a tiny, tiny little Hood renaissance on the internet now that, like, years later, the couple of dorks who knew about this band have managed to find each other, essentially, like, I mean, they made a fucking flowchart, like, what are you- Yeah, someone, someone made a flowchart, someone beat me to it, I was kind of working on my own version of the flowchart, but they- like, like this one fucking guy, Stuart Anderson, who is one half of Empress, is in so many bands here. I'm just like, dude, you 
have an addiction to joining bands. Like, what are you, what are you doing, man? <laughs> I, I also wanted to say, Tiny Hood Reson- uh, Renaissance sounds like one of those games that Square Enix would just, like, trot out to die yes, ahead of Final Fantasy. Yes, thank you, thank you for interrupting my... my, my... I, I, I do love this You understand, you understand how I'm bands. struggling to just, like, introduce this cleanly without yeah. taking you through the entire trajectory of this band because <laughs> this album sits at the exact middle point between the sort of like inevitable demise of this band and the sort of gestures at the potential of what this band could have been that comes from their last couple of releases and their sort of obscure beginnings. And at the center of it, you have this record cold house. That is the one record of their career that manages to take all of the different things that they dabble in and pull it all together into this one record that I think we can now start talking about as just like this piece of music because it's like fast. You've got the remote viewer is one of the main hood side projects. That's important to talk about for this, which uh, one of the, the, the guy uh, Craig, who is, is one of the two key members of the remote viewer follows me on Twitter now. Uh, hey. Cool guy. But um, th- this side project is essentially one of the, actually, I think I might've, heard a remote viewer track before I heard a hood track because I heard a remote viewer song on Fortet's Spotify playlist that was just written about in uh. Uh, Pitchfork. But um, the remote viewer, if I, I can pull up a remote viewer track that I like here in a second, but they are like an ambient electronic side project that sort of joins on as a, as a sort of like sidecar to hood and they provide a lot of the um, electronic elements that work their way into Cold. Like Cold House is the album where you can most clearly hear Craig's mm-hmm. influence. Uh, but also the the solo uh, stuff uh, does does uh, blend the line between like they have guitar stuff uh, in the remote viewer. Let me. I'm. See, this, it's hard to pull all these things up because you've got to like really, you've got to really type oh, out the names of these things. Take but, some digging. Um, here is a song that I think demonstrates the hood remote viewer connection. This is called the Fucking Bleeding Hearts Brigade. They have great song titles as well. Um, so British. This is so unbelievably British. In that 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 is exactly the, the like I I I mean I didn't want to just come on right away being like this is the most British shit I've ever heard in my life. But as someone who is an American that is weirdly attuned to certain British sensibilities, including being a miserable piece of shit and <laughs> and, and 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 loving just like the most downtrodden. I mean, Radiohead's one of my favorite bands of all time. You know, like I am steeped in that sort of sensibility. And but then like. You've got tracks like that that I'm playing you, the fucking Bleeding Hearts Brigade, which is this little like, p- like piano and guitar lullaby. But then you've also got stuff like this that is more very much ambient techno mixed with these kind of soft songwriting sensibilities. Like really, really pretty. Um, oh, what's the? Oh yeah, the one I'm thinking of is actually this one. Uh, this is my favorite. This is the one that I heard from Fortet's playlist, uh, "A Sound of a Finished Kiss." Um, the song is very, very, very pretty, um, and very, this is like what electronic elements are sort of being pulled into Hood, is you've got these kind of beats that are being worked into their stuff, and these sort of synth passages, but there's not a lot of 
synth work on Cold House. And there's more on Cold House than there is on anything, but really a lot of the textural elements are these tape elements and these like really kind of sour string sounds and all of this just like, it's so relentlessly dour. Like even some of the remote viewer stuff manages to be more like airy and pretty than a lot of the cold stuff does. Like the cold, the, the hood music has just a perpetual air of like doom, <laughs> doom and, and overcast. Like, it's like, I always think about the flying Lotus quote about how he says like, I never got burial until I went to London and I was like on a bus and it was raining. And I was like, Oh, I get burial. I understand. Yeah. Cause be, being from Los Angeles, it's harder it's just, to tap. It was harder for me to tap like into that mindset. Album, yeah until I went to school in Michigan for four years. And I spent four yeah. years in the Midwest of the United States, which is similarly brown and overcast and cold. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll say in London's defense, it's not brown, it's gray. And there's an important oh, no. difference oh, in gr- Oh, it's very, oh, gray is, yeah, that's the thing is that- like, Bad, snow, Bad. Snow is pretty <laughs> when it first starts falling on the very first day of winter. When it is yeah. gray slush that's on the ground, that yeah, is l- slush like- like is not the it, one. It, it, like that is that is when I was uh, getting obsessed with hood for the first time, which is really yeah. funny because like now, I am having this relationship with slowcore that is so changing because that was my original association with all of this music is like this is the music that now reminds me of going to school in Michigan because this was a lot of what I would listen to in the winter time there like just this really kind of icy, um, uh, very sparse music. But now, like, my recent slowcore kick has been a lot inspired by this Ethel Kane album that I've written about, like, four different times now and I've interviewed (laughs) Hayden and all that jazz. And the whole thing that she connected to about slowcore as a genre, she's like, this music reminds me of hot Florida summers. Like, this music reminds me of, like, wading through humidity and just like the oppressive weight of, of like a, a, a brutal unending summer in an, in a small town where nothing's ever happening. And like, now I have these two music, these two artists as like the essential two opposite poles of like what slowcore can kind of represent as a, as a genre, like mood wise, but also they're the same. Like, that's the thing is like, you can listen to codeine in the winter and you can connect to it that way. But you can also listen to Codeine in the fucking brutal summer where it's like, it's too hot to move. Like, uh, part of my theory on why Texas has become the hotbed of slowcore and, and like, shoegaze music in, in America. Like, it is one of the most vibrant scenes of these guitar genres in America. And the reason why that someone threw at me on Twitter that I think is right is it's like if you're in Texas and it's the middle of summer and it's that humid outside you try to make a punk album and you go into the studio and you accidentally make a slowcore album <laughs> like you're just it's so hard to move that you're just like oops we accidentally slowed everything down and made it fuzzier and heavier and like this is not that sensibility at all this is a very different very oh, not not even cold but like overcast is the word i keep going back to it's just this like permanent yeah. unending like it's not even extreme enough for you to really feel like it's it's br- uh, oppressive it's just this kind of unending gray blah that their music is sort of always wading through but also has so much going on inside it like it doesn't ever really feel like it's just coasting on sort of vibes in the way that some of these other kind of post-rocky really slow things like there are ideas happening every fucking second of this record like in in a way that really does belie the fact that there were like 
15 different people vaguely involved with this van by the time this record comes out. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you've got Empress who is um, any of the, any of the female vocals that you hear on uh, cycles of days and seasons, cold house and closure. That's Nicola Hodgson, who is the lead singer of Empress, which is a similar sort of lo-fi uh, project. That's uh, Nicola Hodgson and one other member. And uh, so, okay, this is the thing I wanted to do. If we're ready to like talk, start ahead. talking about like the content of the record. Yeah, let's, let's get into that. I just, yeah. as, as a breather, before we do so, I would like to, in my best BBC Radio 4 announcer voice, say all the bands that Stuart Anderson is a member of. Please do. Yes. Let's do it. Content. This is great. Um, obviously, like, well, we're going to put, okay, but we have a choice. Do we put um, Limerence underneath this or do we, do we put like... Um, we're um, already using Limerence for another bit this episode, but... I think we I should. Mean, can there I mean, it'd, be, it'd be really, it'd be really funny to just have like three audio bits in this episode, and all, all of, of them, them are limerence. Yeah, just, right. yeah. Let's, let's just do let's just do limerence. Yeah. So um, please imagine that limerence is playing you two, and it will be in the the, the final yes. edit. Perfect. Bands, bands that Stuart. You can keep doing that, but <laughs> yes. Bands that Stuart Anderson is a member of: Empress, Boy Racer, Stuart. Cheap Red, Fog and Ocean, Hard Left, Heavy Pet, Hula Boy, Kate Bush. <laughs> you, you broke, you broke. I'm, I'm so sorry. Broke. I sorry, Hula Boy and then Kate Bush. Kate, sorry, sorry. Kate's apostrophe S Bush, to be clear. Oh my god. You got you to get the cheeky Lou joke in there. You fucking. We're uh, getting back to it. Kate's Bush. Uh, Logan Hals Motangningen, Mitty Archer, Oscar, Prime Eight, Roybus Orbison, Shortos, Tangible Excitement, The English Teeth, The How, The Safe Distance, The Headless Kings, Trisha Yates Fan Club, and Victoria Slime. Beautiful. I haven't listened to any of those besides Boy Racer and Empress, for the record. Although I, I love, I, I really well, they're, hope they're that not, they're not canon. So why would you? I hope that <laughs> I hope I hope that Tangible Excitement is like a completely miserable slowcore band called Tangible Excitement! Exclamation point. Yeah, uh, be- because um, I hope the exclamation point came across. Um... No, yeah, but like. Uh, yeah, like, go, going back to what, like, I can't even get into, like, I really love the Empress Solo record, and highly recommend checking that out, and the Boy Racer stuff is good, and the Remote Viewer stuff is good, and all of their solo stuff post-hood, like, all of Richard Adams' solo stuff, one of them made a, uh, if you want to add to the counter of how these are the most British men alive, and by the way, I'll show you press photos of them in a second, and then that'll really confirm that, but um, uh, one, uh, Chris Adams, I believe it was, uh, recently did a drum and bass side project uh, that I believe... <laughs> I believe the, na- the the title of it, I'll find it on Bandcamp, I believe it's called uh, Remember When It Was All About the Drums. Um, so these are literally perhaps Jesus. the most British uh, musicians alive. Uh, and that is important oh. to know going into Cold House, which is the album yeah, we're talking okay. about today. Okay. And I would like to hear from you, what did you guys think of this record? What was what were your initial impressions? Give me, give oh. me some, a temperature check. 
so th- uh, three hours ago when we first started talking about this album, <laughs> I know uh, it's you. You said you said it's a Radiohead if Amnesiac was the only yes. thing they could do, and also it was worse. Yes. And that was and I and I that you said that positively, and I I, did. I also expressed that. Po- I literally have like I it's in in my notepads file. I have like. Amnesiac with like a bunch of question marks, and that's about that's as very all I got. accurate. Like the jazzier side of Radiohead that they never fully get in. There is a lot of weird, like in the drumming and stuff. I, I like jazz and post rock and like all sorts of fucking. This this band is a stew of shit going on, especially this record. Like you can hear all of it. Like yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah. No, it's I genuinely. It's Jackie. I'm really sorry to like bookend no. the history lesson with like. Go ahead. I had no, very little insight do. on this. No, I was just like, I, I, this, I, this just I sounded need someone cool. to break up my history lesson, please. <laughs> it just sounded cool. Like it does like, sound very cool. This is cool. That is that is one of the. I mean, uh, one of the other uh, figures. Um, uh, his his producer name is Third Eye Foundation. His name is Matt Elliott. And he is the guy that essentially fundamentally changes Hood more than any other member that joins it because he is the guy that essentially gets them to go from instead of just recording these songs into like a four track tape and like making ambient slow core stuff like out of no material. He's like, what if we kept it sounding like shit, but we also use the studio as an instrument to like create this universe behind it and this i will post in the chat is like i think the only music video i've ever seen that this band released because it's for their very first song for domino back when domino thought that perhaps they would make money maybe possibly uh no they would not um but this is like the first song that they release for domino and is the song that is like the real stepping stone between the early stuff i was playing for you uh, the kind of lo-fi stuff and the more like complete like this this is like okay they're like all right we're gonna actually attempt like having a a, a like hook to it you know like like there is there's an there is an attempt made here in a way that it that that, that uh there was not all, honestly on the first step even though they clearly know how to write songs it's just like i said like they they know that they're not like meant to be kind of perform i imagine that they I imagine they were not a good live band, even even in like the peak of their powers. I, I imagine it was difficult to recreate a lot of this stuff live, especially with the technology of the time, especially with the fact that that because he's not like a super confident singer, like that that there is just like recreating the magic that they're re- able to capture on some of these. Uh, on some of these studio recordings is probably very difficult and probably a lot of why they really struggled to make it as like a live act, but it is sort of like, I don't know. It's really fascinating the way that their career has such a, like they have a Radiohead esque arc where every single album, their sound is changing and evolving and they're pulling in these new things. But instead of it being like, they're doing so at the center of culture and we're following every move with bated breath, they're doing it in obscurity and no one's paying attention except for me years later. And like, (laughs) that is why I I just like have an obsession with this band that is so different than any other music I have. Because I'm just like, there's a whole arc here and a story here and there's so many different strands of this that you can follow off down the rabbit holes of the people that were responsible for the different elements of the music and like you have their first record for domino rustic houses forlorn valleys which is like way more 
traditionally post-rocky, like the first and last songs on that record are nine minutes and 12 minutes long. And it's a lot more in the kind of Godspeed, you'd Black Emperor mode of like pastoral um, mixing uh, slowcore and uh, post-rock with like these uh, kind of found tape sample type stuff like that that's kind of where they start out as but then immediately it starts kind of warping and twisting even as they start writing these weirdly like poppier songs like a lot of the eps and releases post cold house weirdly they start trying to write poppier songs like their last ep called the lost you is like the most pop accessible thing that they ever made and it kind of feels like them at the very last minute being like okay okay we'll oh, try right. we'll rescue t- it please pull it back we'll, exactly no that that that's a hundred like this song uh i will pull up from their last ep is like them trying to all of a sudden get uh like kind of sentimental and sort of sweeping in a way that they don't ever really uh, earlier on in their career, which is another thing that's fascinating about this band is that their their last release is called the hood tapes. And it's literally just like the tapes of the last time that they were all making music together. And the last thing they released has like more new ideas. Like there's a song on, on the hood tape that sounds like a fucking, uh, a full-on like hip Mad Lib style sampled hip hop beat, but they're like sampling themselves. Like oh, they, wow. they 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 continue to go into like crazier and more interesting directions, but they sort of just fizzle out in two thousand five as they sort of realize that like okay, this is not gonna go anywhere, and this is like becoming even more and more of an obligation and a and a draining thing for all of us. And I think. They seem to be happier now that they've all sort of, like, scattered off to do their own little things, even though all of them are doing so in, like, mostly obscurity. Like, when I bought the Hood Tapes on vinyl recently, it was sent to me by Richard Adams. Like, he was the one that that wrote the packaging on the outside (laughs) of it and sent it to me. Like, these guys are not um, in the industry, per se. And they also sort of knew that they never... I mean, like, going back to them being dramatic little... little, little, fatalists um their very last album outside closer uh the very two last songs on the album are closure and then this is it comma forever <laughs> so like th- that is that I is the vibe of these motherfuckers like come on <laughs> they are absolutely no this is great oh, but no it, it's incredible because it's like it it all fits so perfectly with coming to them as this sort of lost band essentially like like yeah, that yeah, yeah, it re- yeah. it really feels like you've stumbled you've like you were going through a yard sale or like or like not even a yard sale like a, this house was foreclosed and there's just a bunch of stuff here that you can buy if you want and you're mm-hmm. like stumbling through the decks and you find some old tape and it's like oh wow these people this wasn't that professional and they just sort of left this stuff behind and but like hey they kind of had something here if maybe if someone had been able to help them like it's that whole vibe to all of it and i think it makes it very easy to romanticize their music as i sort of have but like i also i also think their music has so much interesting to talk about it like the way that cold house because they have the limitations of their music like because he cannot just hit gorgeous notes like tom york can hit that that are basically the the sugar that which radiohead uses to deliver their medicine of their weird fucked up like post uh all of their all of their like music nerd 
bullshit. Yeah. Like the post everything the, project. Yeah. Exactly. Like like they, they, they all they make that go down because they can write these really great pop melodies and Chris and Richard could write really like there are a lot of guitar leads and like bass lines on these two my two favorite hood albums that are like really fucking catchy and really stick with you but they're not delivered with the confidence of someone being like, and we're going to be famous for doing this. Like mm-hmm. they're, they're delivered in an Elliot Smith esque. I'm uncomfortable even being here being observed sort of way. And I think that that does really fit though the music that they were making. Cause it's not like the music they were making was particularly upbeat. It was very um, dreary in the most uh, satisfying to me possible way. Yeah. God, so to, like, have my turn to, as Boo did, punch this group in the gut for no apparent reason because it's slightly funny, but also, like, this is how the album came across. Half of it for me was, like, this is Do Make Say Think, but not falling all the way into the jazz stuff. And the other half is, this is what justifies me preferring Orteca to Aphex Twin. Oh, wow. Um, so, like, this is... The, the, the two sides of this were, like... There are jazzy tracks in this record, like a bunch of them, um, which I really, really enjoy. Like the first track is, I, I think, pretty fucking spectacular, genuinely. Yes. Um, later on, I think it's This Is What We Do To Sell Out. Mm-hmm. Or This Is What We is Do like, To Sell Out. Brackets. Yeah. Yes. Which, which by the way, we- I, I, knew, yeah, I knew you would like that song immediately because literally the beginning of This Is What We Do To Sell Out, it sounds like the fucking intro to uh, what's the Sophie song that it sounds like. Oh dear God! What? It's um, one of the product songs. I'm totally yeah, blanking yeah, on yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. God, I mean, name is oh. right now, but I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Is it like, but like, think about that. They made this in 2001. Like, that's yeah, what the, blows the me away with a lot of the stuff. Great, great microbeat stuff. And then yeah. Lines Out to Frozen Ground. I think the last one that. Oh yes, like. that one's really beautiful. Like big, expansive, like gentle, like smooth jazz-inflected post-rock track. Great. Mm-hmm. I think the most the one that's most obvious on is both my favourite and the one where it, like, hits all the alarm bells most aggressively is the first one. Uh, they removed all trace. Totally, yeah. I mean, that one That one feels like it is really, like, the sort of mission statement of the record because it does... It, I think it incorporates, like, the hip-hop elements the most successfully yep. of any song on the record and then... And that the, the, like... All the, yeah. Yeah, the, the balance between the microbeats and the, like, Aphex Twinny, like... Mm-hmm. S- the early selected ambience worksy like synth vibe and the, and then, like, and then those strings and pop melodies and exactly. the, like, the strings the, the strings are such a, cr- a crucial element yeah. of the cold house I mean I, I, I kind of did I, I cold house is their best record in terms of like I think it has the most ambition and the most that they've successful they successfully managed to like pull off but Cycles and Days and Seasons was the first one that I listened to and it's kind of my favorite. It's much less electronic and so that's kind of why I decided not to include it because I think it would have felt... I think I think Cold House is a better fit to talk about with both the first record we talked about, Psychic 9 to Fighting Club, and with Safe in the Arms of Love because I think it's a similar kind of like pulling all of these different genre influences together to do this sort of songwriting that is blending the line between atmospheric songwriting and pop songwriting. And yeah. I think I think that that's what makes all these records the same, whereas I think Cycles of Days and Seasons is even more... It's less rock... It's less electronic, and it's also... 
not even as post-rocky as the one before it, and it's just this sort of... That's the one where they sound most like Radiohead. Like, if you listen to a song like um, uh, How Can You Drag Your Body Blindly Through, that's, that one has big... T- which starts as, like, this 10-minute noise section, and then all the... Uh, it starts as a, a one-minute noise section that about a minute and a half into the song just breaks into this uh, minor key acoustic guitar riff that is so... Yeah, it's like, No, yeah, total... that's... Yeah. Exactly, but, like... It's right on the they, They've got a ton of stuff like that that, like, just... The strings are something I, I come back to all the time. Like, Western Housing Concerns, the first song on that record, has these just, like, absolutely, like... Sour, disgusting strings that are also th- there's a sample on the first song of that record that I've, I I don't know what it is but I've described it for years as like the world's saddest sounding fax machine like it just sounds no. like this like creaking like industrial like machine thing that feels like it's turning on and that's something that I I've always loved about their music is is existing at this exact intersection of like these sort of analog almost like pre-industrial kind of soundscapes that they're trying to evoke while they're also increasingly dabbling in electronic music and dabbling in like this album simultaneously feels very much dated to the kind of futurism of 2001 and the way that like this era of music was trying to reach forward into the future with more primitive tools but also it feels so ancient like it feels like this record could have been sitting in someone's garage for 10 years or 20 years or 30 like it it really feels like it's unmoored in time because of all the different stuff that it's pulling from in such a interesting way okay so i've got a bunch of stuff to drill down on so the first one is like the dimmit say think thing um are you somewhat familiar with them i think we've had this not really no so yeah let me just drop the one track that came immediately to mind one of the many tracks that came immediately to, to mind. Because, like, um, they are my favourite post, post-rock band by, like, an astonishing large margin because they think they make tracks that actually groove, which is astounding to say. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned earlier that, like, how the fuck would they play this thing live and capture any of this energy? The thing that Do Makes They Think do is, like, all their drums are incredibly jazzy and they have two drummers on stage at all times. Oof, plus nice. a brass section. So, like... That's how you get density. It's like two guitars, a bassist, a like sax, trombone, trumpet. And oh yeah, this two is drummers. this is already. Yeah, I can tell this is gonna be in my in my general zone. So yeah, like immediately with the with the drum patterns, like it's a the difference between this and the Cold House thing is that Cold House, like obviously it's growing it out of the microbeaty stuff. Yeah. But the drum pattern it lands on is like really brushy, really light in texture and isn't particularly like dense mm-hmm. the, the 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 thing about do makes i think is half the members are also in broken social scene so like they oh yeah and that's up, how, that's how i know this okay this yeah. is how any anyone who knows them probably knows them that way um yeah. but yeah the, the thing that they, they're like groping towards is like the muscularity and the like density of broken social scene drums oh totally um, Oh yeah, and, like that. That, it, that drum part just came there. in. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, I, I, it's I see exactly there, what you're yeah. saying. There, there is a groove is the right word. Yeah, no, totally. Um, and hood, ha- hood have a couple of like, like I was saying, in their later period tracks where they get both more hip hoppy and kraut rocky at the same time, and that's where <laughs> that's where you start getting like the stuff that I I can show you one track. There's like one track of theirs that's like a seven minute long continuous groove that's actually pretty oh, cool. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, but so, no, yeah, I get what you're saying. 
so this is like one reference point where like this and uh, Lines of the Frozen Ground were immediately being like, ah, oh, yeah, I know what broken social scene sounds like, taking this and running with it for the next decade. And totally, yeah. The other side is broken social scene also, sorry, not broken social scene, do my say think, also have their occasional furries towards microbeats. So I will send a, ta- a track called Chinatown to you. Our second Chinatown song in the episode. Yeah. Um, oh, I, okay. I immediately see what you're saying. No, yeah, like... Like, different attitude towards microbeats, and also this is, like, a good seven, eight years later, but, like, another yeah, way of the, getting the beats, to the same... The, the beats on Cold House are pulling from the kind of microbeat influence, but also the the rap influence the production that yeah. they're pulling from the like the Y Anticon stuff it's like snappier like there there there's a lot more kind of there's a lot more glitch in it yeah exactly glitch is the right word so this is the thing it's in like the other side to this is like I much prefer Oteca to Apex Twin I always have yes. but I think Apex Twin is fine I'll say I'll say the the the, uh, the aggressively silly thing mm. I think Apex Twin is grossly overrated and people should stop caring about it quite so much. Um, but part of that also means that, like, the the nominally single on this record is "You Show No Emotion at All." Mm-hmm. Which feels like the the like Aphex Twin selected ambient works like it does r- yeah. riff piece that has the like drums built into it and the post rock song built out of it. Um, Exactly, and yeah. the thing that annoyed me is I know from the literally previous track that they could go down the micro beat more ja- jazzy, like, more fluid. I, I, I totally get you. Mean. I, you. You Show No Emotion is not one of my... F- I, I like it, but it is not my favorite mode of... I think it's... It, it's you're funny. You're exactly right. That, like, that is what gets them the little bit of juice, I think, is that it yeah. sounds kind of Apex Twinny and people are latching onto that. But I agree with you that I do like them when they're working in either a much jazzier zone or a much more straightforwardly like rock zone. And I like when the, the, the beats are being used as a much more like with this song we're listening to right now as a, like an, an additional textural element rather than as like a real rigid structure. Although, like I was saying, like they do, I'll just play the song I keep thinking about that you, um, just so you can hear this because I think you'll, uh, when we'll wait all the tables is what I think it's called. Uh, all the, this is from the hood tapes uh that i just it got uploaded to streaming last year oh wow this has two views that fucking oh, rocks okay um <laughs> i mean it's hood topic on youtube it's not even their official page this is like the the uploaded but like just throw this on yeah. and oh the, yeah immediately exactly and then they start from this place, and then eventually, as they do with every song, they're like, okay, now how do we um, braid our sort of guitar playing, which is so distinctive, and the other elements like into this music. And I, th- I think they get better at it as they go along. Like I, the album yeah. after this, Outside Closer, I think you might like that one more than Cold House, actually. I, I kind of, when going into this was like okay i think you you might like cold house more because of some of the sort of like idm and glitch stuff that it's pulling from but like as we're sort of getting into it i think i think you actually might like when they sort of lean away from some which in the same way that i do like i like this album a lot it is not the the 
hood album that I reach for, which I either am usually listening to Cycles of Days and Seasons, uh, or I am listening to, like, one of the side projects, or I'm listening to my just big, all of my favorite hood songs playlist, which I have titled uh, Certified Hood Classics, of course. <laughs> um, but no, uh, fucking damn it. Sorry. No, um, you're not allowed. I am allowed, unfortunately. Oh, um, my God. But uh, it's... It, it's a fascinating, like I said, like wormhole to go down because like we, there are, because this was a band that never really crested in popularity, they had this weird sort of benefit of like, unlike Radiohead, where every single move that they make from album to album is partly about navigating the expectations of what people expect out of a Radiohead album. No one ever had any expectations because <laughs> because they no were sort of... Exactly. So they were existing in their own world, and I think that's it's why their their intersection with critical acclaim is so brief, is because they were just sort of dabbling in stuff that just so happened to, for a very brief window, like overlap with some other stuff that was getting a lot of critical attention. And yeah. so people fixated on this, and then they quickly kind of drifted away from that sound. Like, if you listen to Outside Closer, that album sounds more like the one before it than, 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 uh, cold house. I would say it's, it's definitely more kind of in less electronic. They, they kind of strip back some of the electronic stuff and stretch out some of the song structures a little bit on that last record. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't sound quite as Godspeed E as their, <laughs> as their early stuff does. It, yeah. Fair. All of their music I think is, is it ranges on, uh, all of it is interesting and like how good it is tends to range on like what different project you're on and, and what level of like musical competency and equipment they were at, at that particular phase <laughs> in their evolution. And like some of the early stuff, like I really like a couple of songs from that early, especially like the singles compilation has a couple of really great little songs, but they don't even feel like songs. They feel like these fleeting sketches of like, we recorded two minutes of something that was like a song almost becoming a song and then like not quite getting there. Like, I don't know. It's very easy to romanticize all of it. Like you're clearly seeing, like yeah. when you have this sort of relationship to it. You can attach all these narratives onto it. And it's part of why I really want to, I've been meaning to write something about this for a while, but I want to like actually talk to all of these people before I do that, because yeah. I feel like it is very well, easy. What stance to... you take towards it, it's going to drastically change based on exactly. Like, and it's like, so the kind of intention that goes in, yeah. Project your own things, mm. your own shit onto it essentially, because it is existing outside of context. Like you do not have a pre-assigned, this is what this band means narrative, which has always been the thing that has fascinated me about them as a writer. Cause it's essentially this like, if a band falls in a forest and no one's around to hear it, does it make a sound question? Like yeah. that, that's the thing that I, that just, uh, they make, they it was, do make it was like bloops, it, and bloops, but yeah, exactly. No, totally. Um, and I think this record, even though it's not my favorite of theirs, I think it is one of their most fascinating in terms of just like all the, I really, what, uh, what was the song that I was, I was coming back to this for this podcast and the winner hits hard. I really like that one now. It like grew in me this time. Cause like all the, like, it has this sort of jazzy drumming to it, but then like three minutes into the song, it just explodes into this, like these like tape delays and like, just like reverbed out elements that sort of just like consume the track as it sort of goes along. And like, that's yeah. always been to me what is most fascinating about hood is that like, not only are they this like freewheeling 
post-rock act that is pulling in all these different genre influences, but, like, what I was talking about with the influence of the the Third Eye Foundation, that guy, is that, like, he really teaches them how to use the studio itself as an instrument in a way that they're, like, really able to take these songs that do have some kind of basic pop melodic foundation to them somewhere, even if it's being played in a very kind of woe is me sort of way, but then like abstracting that with these layers of tape delay and these weird textural samples and these like, um, the, the album before this, uh, cycles of days and seasons has this sample that repeats throughout of like a bell chiming. It's like a very kind of lo-fi recorded sample of like a, a church tower bell. And like the sample appears like three different times throughout the record, like the exact same one. And it has this effect of like, you keep thinking like, oh, is the same song starting again? Or like, am I like circling back around to the same thing? And it has, it gives all of it like this really, really dreamy quality that I think this record does too. But I think they get a little too like, they get a little too, there's too much uh, to use a, a parlance from I Think You Should Leave that I also used on a music podcast recently. It's got too much fucking shit on it. Just a little bit. Yeah. Like there are a couple moments in this album that you can really feel them bending under the weight of having so many members of the band, but that is why my favorite parts of this record are the very beginning and the very end, where I think they manage to strip things down a little bit. Like, the one song I really want to talk about on this record uh, are the last two. I mean, Lions Load of the Frozen Ground and You're Worth the Whole World. They're not always the best closer band. Like, they always start really strong on records, like Western Housing Concerns on the album before this and Southeast Rain Patterns on the album before this. Like, both really great openers. But, like, the closer of Cycles of Days and Seasons, the uh, the cliff edge of a workday morality, which is, like, one of the most British song titles of all time, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, that one is not my favorite closer, but, like, uh, You're Worth uh, the Whole World is one of my favorite Hood songs and, like, an example of that kind of sentimentality. They, they approach every once in a while in a way that's very surprising. Like, there's a, there's a warmness to that song, even though there is, like, all the glitching reversed vocals and all of the kind of dourness of it there is a, there is a sort of prettiness to that guitar line that i think is it, it, it's the thing that's hinted at around the edges of hood songs in a in a way that's similar to like i've gotten really into pavement this year yeah and like yeah, yeah. one of the things i love so much about pavement is that like no matter how hard steven tries he kind of can't help but write good pop songs and it's like and it's like this war he has with himself where he's like i don't want to but here's another perfect melody like and and that's a kind of similar thing with this band it's like they know that they're not suited to it but they also have it in them and i think they occasionally find really graceful ways to like incorporate that into their sound while also doing these other like you're worth the whole world is a song that has more space on it even though it is doing like all the like i'm saying like the talk rappy backwards yeah like like stretching vocals and stuff and it is doing a lot but there's a lot more space to just let the guitar really carry the song as opposed to some of these other tracks where like the electronic elements are butting up against the rock elements and the rap elements where it sometimes does all come together beautifully like on the very first track of the record but there are also times when it becomes a little they have so many ideas that they start to muddle each other out yeah so i wanted to talk about the, the rap stuff because okay, so there are two like points of potential american influence the one is the like the the, the, the like thinky talk rap stuff yes 
Which is literally um, an American rapping. Yeah, Yoni, yeah, Yoni the, Wolf the is... The incredibly white boy rap stuff that's going yes. on in here is like... 100%. So you said in, to some degree that this is like an album that it's impossible to date, but is somehow dated in every single possible moment it comes out because something in it true. is... It's like slightly wonky and mawkish at any point in time. Like, I don't think... It's 2001 that... in 10 different ways. That's, that's what it is. It's like... Yeah. It doesn't surely, feel... surely though, like white bo- yeah. white boy smart rap wasn't cool in two thousand and one. Oh no, not yet. Exactly. Like that's the thing uh, is that Yoni Yoni Wolf uh, becomes popular, like starts forms the group Y in two thousand five, and like becomes popular in the back half of the two uh, thousands. Okay. Yeah. No. That that kind of flips the timescale in the back of my head, but I think the point still stands. Like, okay, so there's that going on. The other part though is like is. Do they listen to or collaborate with or care about emo in any way? That is a fascinating concept that I also have not really dug into. I would guess yes, because they have a weird amount of, I would say, seeming knowledge of American music Mm -hmm. and interest in American music. And because of some of the hip-hop influences and other stuff that they're pulling from, I have to imagine they're getting some Midwest emo in here somewhere, because that's definitely, Cause like like I said, like I fell in love with this. It just a sound thing, yeah. Yeah, because, I, I, like I said, like I fell in love with this record in Michigan, and like yeah. that is so much of what I was going back to the sort of slow core, cold, slow core, hot conversation. Like, yeah, yeah. I think that's the Midwest, the, the sort of spiritual kinship between Midwest emo and British rock music of a certain obscure variety. And I definitely can see, I I don't think about that as much as one of the big influences, but I can definitely see a little, especially in some of the guitar playing, like, yeah, um, this is an emo, but when I showed my friend Lily, uh, hood for the first time, her initial reaction was like, Oh my God, they have the exact placebo guitar tone. Yep, like exact yep. that that exact kind of warm, um, but not like completely fuzzed out and airy. Like it has a certain percussiveness to it, but it also has just a real like softness at the same time. Like it's it's the guitar tone that I chase in so much music. Which actually, this funny, it uh, the band that you know, Alexis Death Crash. Part oh, of yeah. why I am I am so obsessed with Death Crash is because they give me a lot of my hood. Uh, Hell fix. yeah that I'm looking for in some of the guitar tones and some of the, but like they also work in some other elements that I think uh, make it feel a little more modern and feel a little bit like um, has more teeth to it. I think than Mm. some of hood stuff does. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Those are the, like getting my, like the potential biography making sense of it questions out of the way. Yeah. That makes, makes a lot of sense. Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah, now now like Yoni Wolf being involved in this uh, this album is really funny because like I was saying, like he became someone that to a certain kind of indie emo hip hop fan is like v- v- he's very much sort of um, I would say like in the intersection between like Aesop rock and like and like sort of like where indie uh, music is kind of where he exists. And like yeah, for people God. like the, who, who like that kind of stuff, like alopecia by Y is a record that I've heard people, I, I, I know it decently well. I'm not like the biggest fan, but like that is a record people really, really love. 
Um, and so people do know Yoni Wolf now, but like this is sort of a weird uh, footnote in his career that basically right as he was starting as a rapper, like he started recording in like 1997 and like immediately through Anticon ends up on this Hood album, th- this band from, which is what I'm saying, like the fact that a lot of Hood's music was released on like some Slumberland and they were collaborating with these American, it's like the weird thing about Hood is that there were people connected to things that they were pulling from that might have been able to embrace them but it's like because they were not like a successful touring band and couldn't like go all over the world and just be like oh let's just pick up and move to los angeles and like try to make it there like they were just sort of kind of stuck on on their their continent essentially like and that because the internet didn't exist yet like they were not able to carve out like a and it's why you've seen so many of these bands come back in like the post-internet age is like you've got bands like godspeed you black emperor and unwound and stuff like this that like wasn't the most successful thing at the time but now that you have internet communities that can form around like there are enough people that unwound can sell out the wiltern in five seconds like yep and as part of that is just that these things have become canonized over time. And now, like, when you go onto the internet, and if you're like me, and you go onto a dumb website, like, rate your music, and you scroll through the genre, like, all-time highest-ranked average lists, you can stumble across something you, like this. You're, you're going to get repetition or, or leave something. But, but, but you, can stumble, you can stumble across something like this that... that, that to you is presented with more important than it actually had. And that's something that's yeah. like fascinating to me is it's like you can be presented something that all of a sudden becomes canon. And then you talk to people that are older that are like that band, no one fucking cared about that band at the time. Like, <laughs> what are you, what are you talking about? Yeah. Um, and that being the, 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 the fascinating way that we're engaging with music in, in a, in a post internet age, it's like something that this band has, has made me tie myself in not thinking about in particular. And that's why I've I've wanted to bring them on here. Yeah, it's not even the, like, was your favorite band's favorite band thing, because it's not your favorite band's favorite band. Exactly. It's your taste maker's favorite band, and your taste maker is variously, like, some someone on I'm, I'm gonna figure not out necessarily who was that wrote, wrote the, heads, but you know I'm gonna figure out who it was that that's written the couple of things about in Pitchfork uh, about yeah. I think that might I I remember looking up something. the um I th- <laughs> I remember looking up the Pitchfork uh, reviews because they are like archived on the old site yeah Nathan, Nathan Rooney up. was uh, and I think there was someone at Spin that liked it I remember yeah. I, he basically it's so funny like they were talking about it and it it goes back to sort of the attitude they had it's just like being a band is so weird. You just like chip away at this impossible thing forever. And then one time in your career, one guy who works for one magazine says, you know what? I like this. And then just for one year, like all of a sudden people you take you remote, you, you, you get taken remotely seriously. And then it kind of disappears. Cause that one guy stops saying, Hey, I like this. And then, and then it just like, you can tell that they're the way that they talk about it. It's like, it never really felt like validation for them. It just sort of felt like, Oh wait, really? <laughs> Essentially. Like I thought, I thought no one liked this stuff, but like the, the review is, is, is uh, very 2001 pitchfork also <laughs> mm-hmm. as everything. Yeah. From it feels yeah, like it's, I'm, I'm not going to like the, uh, from a different time. Yeah. The, uh, the, the review didn't help. 
No, but like, but like, <laughs> the, the, they they get um they they got a, a, a Domino did a recollected box set in twenty twelve, and that got labeled uh, best new reissue by Pitchfork. So like, uh, over time, they have become a sort of interesting uh, pet case of just sort of like super duper nerds like me. Like this review. Uh, this uh, one, the review for the Recollected, the first couple bands that get cited are Talk Talk, Bark Psychosis, and Disco Inferno, who are all, I would say, good comparison points for Hood, even though none of them sound like what Hood end up sounding like. Like, Bark Psychosis is the one of these I like the most. Like, I am not a Talk Talk person for the mm-hmm. most part. I actually, like, I mean, their poppy stuff is, is great. Um, their post-rock stuff is a little like I'm very like when I read when I read all the backstory about like Spirit of Eden and like how that album was made like I now have an appreciation for it but it's not a record that I like like Spirit of Eden and Laughing Stock were like records that I tried when I was just sort of like okay what is this post rock stuff that I'm getting into and let me try it. oh god we've been going for so long I'm just realizing that we have to talk about the fucking Eve Tomorrow album yeah Jesus we do Christ. have another we do have another record to get to but okay gonna, we need to move um, on from this but. Yeah, yeah. I, I think so it's just the, really fascinating that they've been, like, half-canonized, but not really. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, totally. So, yeah, the, the only thing I wanted to add is, like, it doesn't have to be like this. It doesn't have to be like this. I live in the city of Bristol Killer now. Whales. <laughs> no, you can't do that to me. I did it to myself, but you can't do it you to me. You did it to yourself. I'm sorry. Uh, it's true. Um, I did it to myself again. Um... It doesn't have to be like this. I live in the city of Bristol, which is one of the coolest and best local music scenes you could possibly find. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's because of the combination of venues and aesthetic waves that have been going through the city. Improv and experimental stuff is like the thing that people are like kind of buzzed about right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are people who are in the same kind of serial band joining lane, but who aren't doing the... The, the like we're in the treadmill attempting to get priority it's like mm-hmm. turned it into a thing that survives on its own terms because there's a local scene that like allows it yes. to and i think it, just it's like inward facing in a way that is not like exclusionary it's just like yeah. we're focused it, on it's for what its we're own doing. self-sufficiency yeah um yeah. so then the names if, if people want to just google dali de saint paul um she's a incredible incredible improv and experimental artists ranging from like doomy noise stuff through to jazz through to completely abstract modern contemporary classical stuff through to like really pretty um yeah like really pretty post-rocky indie stuff like the majority of it though is the the more experimental and more abstract end of things just like Mm -hmm. this is someone who is i know has six projects on the go right now like literally six. I could go probably find her playing any given week in the city. There are other people. Um, Harry Furness, trumpeter, um, who has like five different like mainline projects, and we'll just put a band together with you if you ask him nicely on the right night. <laughs> and it's just a way of existing that like, okay, it's not going to end up with you having a release on Domino, and like this captures mm. something genuinely quite weird and bizarre about the the music industry moment of like. The years yes. 2000 through 2008, where like mm-hmm. everyone could just throw money at giving things a chance in a mm-hmm. way that just absolutely is not possible post crash. Totally. Uh, yeah, I, I, I almost feel like there's a, 
there's a like a, a sense of loss associated with this like nostalgia for like passion projects that don't go anywhere until totally. you forget that like they only make sense as a kind of passion project that doesn't go anywhere in the context of a record industry that doesn't exist anymore exactly and, and i honestly think that like what you're talking about like it feels like artists who exist in these places almost have a greater sense of peace about it now because yeah. it's like because we're all so aware of the fact that this thing that we're sort of striving for is like impossible now more than ever it makes it easier to be like well we'll just focus on ourselves then cuz like why struggle for the brass ring if this is what it's all fucking for right like yeah i think that there's a lot more of that kind of attitude and i think it's also just easier to do that in an internet era where it's just easier to be like we're going to carve out our own fucking corner over here. And no, none of us are going to make like feasible careers off of it, but we can just have our little Bandcamp universe that exists. Yeah, exactly. It just so happens to sound like the Bandcamp universe preempted by this 20 years Essentially, ago. Essentially, yes. No, literally. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's fascinating. Uh, and that's why I think it is cool that some people have discovered it now because it makes, it makes more sense now than it ever did at the time in a weird sort of way, even though it does, like you're saying, feel like really 2001 in certain mm-hmm. ways. Mm-hmm. All right, we got to call it there because we have a whole fucking other album to talk about. <laughs> Good thing this last album we're talking about isn't... Uh... It's, stra- it's straightforward, easily made sense of, and doesn't have layers of emotional and musical weight to dig through. I hey. I am going to have a piss and we'll be right back if that's all right. <laughs> Absolutely no. We need to we launch need to. into this. Jesus Christ. Prepared. Yes. This is, this is I, I take already long podcasts, I make them longer. I take short podcasts, I make them longer. It's what it's what happens if you invite me on. I'm so uh, uh, Jackie Regs, I really appreciate like both of your guys' insight. I took two pee breaks during <laughs> the, the hood situation. I mean, Sorry, we, I, that we, we actually need to call that whatever it was, the hood situation. Uh, I literally w- am a fire hose of context about this band that no one else knows about. <laughs> I, and so well, it's uh, that's that's what I like about uh, it's you're you're getting the word out. Yeah, exactly. Gonna, this, this this is the public people, call. People Everyone start will, listening that, to Hood. That that is the thing though is it's like I don't feel ever like I'm over explaining stuff with this band because no one knows what the fuck I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, all right, let me get out my Charlie Kelly, uh, mailroom. Let, let me let me get the the strings and and the pin board and I will explain to you who Chris and Richard Adams and Nicola Hudson and, and all these fucking people are like it it is an insane collection of very brilliant also oh I forgot we haven't done um any cover watches I should it's uh, look it's yeah. it's hood and hate rock it's I I did not I was yes, not no, enthused totally. or blown away by any of the covers. No, but I should show you. Um, there's one I do want to show you. Uh, Empress. Uh, who has one album and two EPs essentially? Two uh-huh. of her EPs are bundled as it's just called the first and second EPs by Empress, <sighs> and the single artwork for it is really fucking cool. And I'm going to post it. Oh, that is very nice. I like it quite a bit. <laughs> they have some, like, I re- I, I'm obsessed with the cycles of, let me, did you see the cycles of days and seasons cover? Let me pull that up as well. No. Uh, this is, I, you probably, you have seen it because I, this is every single time the prompt goes around of, uh, Best album cover. Yes, you shove I, this in. Okay, I, then I, you've definitely you've definitely sent this to me. Though. Yes, because uh, it's on Twitter. It is very frequently. Um, 
one of the things I post, and it's always the one when I post it, people are like, hey, what's that? Because it doesn't have any words on it. It's um, good. And oh, it's, is this, uh, is this, is this that, also a hit thing, or is it someone else? So these are, these are both, so the, the, the top one is the uh, Empress EP. Well, it's, it's, ah. it's her first two EPs that were com- combined as one thing. And this, the bottom and the one, one is, second one I know. is yeah. Cycles second of Days and Seasons, yes. Which is uh, one of my favorite bits of album artwork, like ever. I, I'm upset. It's part of what drew. Like literally, I just saw that 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 image and was like, "Well, I want to know what that is," uh, and I and I learned. <laughs> Anyways, oh, we should talk about Eve two more now. <sighs> all right. Um, I th- I was about to say, "All right, my tumor heads," and that's not the way. To- nope. <laughs> no, that's a that's a medical condition. It is a medical condition. If you have one of those, please see a doctor immediately. Uh, um, hey, Boo. Hey. What's the last album we're talking about? Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, like, really sleepy right now. Did you get All up right. and do some star jumps? I don't know. Okay. Yeah, hang on. <laughs> just, get, just get hyped. Did you get hyped remembering that you're about to talk about the greatest album of all time? It's true. It's true. It's okay. literally true. It's, have, you, have you guys seen that image of, like, the uh, the, the guy in, like, the full uh, cat suit and, like, ski mask doing, like, stretches outside, like, oh, before God. he does a robbery and he looks like an Earthbound villain? I have not <laughs> seen this, but... Um, That's what I'm doing right now. Great. Thank you. Okay. Uh, um... Alright, so let me set the stage a little. Uh... Eve Tumor is many different things to many different people. Uh, to some listeners, Eve Tumor is, uh, you know, it's perfectly bred to, like, stay in, like, the pan 4AD uh, ambient uh, sort of avant-garde sort of situation. It's with, with very conventionally beautiful, like, chord progressions, but, like, lots of very interesting methods of composition to other listeners of hot singles uh eve tumor is the person that makes insanely rocking like just the heaviest like funkiest shit of all time within the last couple of years and to me uh eve tumor is this record safe in the hands of love yeah uh released uh surprise digital release uh september 5th 2018 by Warp Records.
Guys, I fucking love this album so much. It's uh, so good. Yeah, it's, it's so good. The good. The good thing about this is that it's even though there's so much to break into about this record, in a way that will not be the case compared to the last record. Like I, I'm a little speechless about this record and just like how how do we even begin to uh, break down not only what what a six like what an incredible work this is, but also like what a miracle it is because I think even at the time. It felt this way when I first heard this record where I'm just like, what they're doing just should not work, and it is. And then as more time has passed, it feels even more impossible that, like, yeah. like you were saying earlier, it is a transition record. It is very much the bridge record between the early period of Eve to More and the current period of Eve to More that we're in. And at the same time, unlike the- almost every other artist of this style, the bridge record is the best record. That's yeah, it's I, I I just wanted to say it's like the the track list of this record itself literally is like physically moving from Eve's old style into like the oh, insane I, yes. noisy guitar shit. Like it's the, the, I'll, the I'll, I'll, thing I'll talk, is, is is a work of yeah. Genius. We we can talk more about that later. Uh, Alexis, I, did you have anything to say about Safe yeah. in the Hands of Love before we launch into it? Um, this album's gay as shit. That's very important. Truing, gay, gay, and trans as shit. Um, th- I mean, I I use gay as the catch-all term for all. Yes, you know. Yes, um, no, hundred percent. Gay, non-derogatory. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> 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 mm, you know, when you say it that way, um, I th- but could it be gay derogatory positive? Yes, <laughs> we leave exactly. It no, th- that that um, that is that is a different yes category. Yeah, correct. different, but it's equally important usage. Um, it's gay as shit. It is emotionally desperate and intimate in ways that like are very different to the hate records, but I also think are like oh, yes. crucially important to me personally. Um, mm-hmm. It's got it's got a whiff of the vapor wave in it still. It's got a whiff of the not just the like um, pan uh, limerence perfect ambient music. It's got a bunch of the team stuff because for reference for yes. people who do not recognize. Back when me and Marcy tried to ambush Autumn with uh, What the Hell is Vaporwave, the two albums we picked were uh, Echo Jams and uh, Days Off by Teams, which is a Eve Chima alias from like mm-hmm. early 2010s, which is like almost bizarrely prescient of how rock heavy they go in the future. Um, mm-hmm. But the, the way and the attitude towards rock music on this is like, really different from what comes after it and I find really fascinating um, I, I would o- agree with that too yeah um, there's one other thing which is as I think me, when me and Jackie were just like confirming picks when we were first sorting this out um, we both basically said something on the lines of this is not an album with pretensions of being like era defining or epochal but it's become so in a very strange way Yes. Far beyond what the like actual fabric of the album would ever give you the expectation for, but it like totally. in in no like in no small way in my mind is like truly defining of like a particular moment and like kind of crossover between pop well like pop songwriting and electronic artistry. That yeah, like, the, I, I, uh, I, I, for that, me it's this ahead. and the of the Arca self titled record and like the two that define mm-hmm. this mode of of artistry. And yeah, like, I I'm I'm besotted with both of them. So yeah, there's I, so much going on here. 
Yeah, it's uh, other than other than uh, the illustrious Hot Singles. It's I think the only other like publication that could talk about this record properly is Tiny Mixtapes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Sam, Sam Goldner writes uh, on this record. Eve isn't concerned with be with being experimental. They're simply concerned with being. That fucking I was like, rocks. Sam, yeah, Sam, Sam, dude. Sam's a great guy. Love Sam. Yep. <sighs> no, it's this this. It, this this record seems like avant-garde. This record seems like deeply experimental, but yeah. it's just because it's crazy fucking honest and sort that's, of scared exactly and is. sort of yelling. Uh, I mean, which is, is why the album artwork is so perfect. Oh, can we do cover watch now? Can we do yeah. it now? Let's do it now. Yeah. Uh, Colin Fletcher's the best graphic designer this century. I uh, I'm not fucking lying. And no, you no, you guys don't consider that like a loaded or even like otherwise noteworthy statement, but it's fucking true. It is so true. Uh, Google Colin Fletcher. Google Colin Fletcher. What else, what else has he done? Right I'm often bad with names. Oh, we get the MMA designs. guy. We get the MMA guy. Never mind. Never mind. Sorry, I literally was gonna say like oh, I'm Google Colin Fletcher. The Oldsworth final, final, the Smashes finalist, and noted clown of the cage, Colin Fletcher, announced via his Twitter account on Monday that he's been released by the UFC. <laughs> that's so that's so sad I, I i did i had a design to it and now i'm seeing yeah no it's oh, okay just, I, I, I found just, his i found like his page down. okay yeah the charlie xcs found... crash um yeah no i i i'm seeing eve yeah there's an eve chima uh, poster here related. uh did the uh rabbit tour poster that drake a hot singles mainstay uh cribbed for the scary hours mixtape cover Wow, yeah, this is uh, all really good. Yep. Uh, works along with uh, uh, Travis Brothers and Brian Rivera on the Post Malone stuff, which I think is, like, really legendary. Um, that is funny. Callie Malone. Oh, God, the yep. Callie Malone pipe stuff is just so fucking excellent. So, all of this to say, this is... Oh, and uh, along with uh, Hassan Rahim uh, uh, Gaika... Like it basically everything that's like a rung down from what you know in design, Colin is responsible for, it. and like it's th this is some of uh, his best work, along with uh, like Eve, and uh, who else was on here? Uh, Bliss Serenity Resting, who uh, did the logo and uh, additional design. This is yeah, the this is, really this is like one of the like... coolest cover sleeves of all time. It's I, fucking rad. It's so. It's my my understanding of like the the shoot for this is that Eve Tumor showed up with approximately nine trillion uh, three hundred seventy five thousand uh, four hundred sixty two outfits, and was like, <laughs> all right, we're we're shooting with all of these, and then there you go. We it's I love the I love the grid pattern on like the zoom in. It creates it 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 looks like it's like a picture of a screen, and yeah. that Eve Tumor is going to break out and kill me. Yes, it is. It is rushing forward at you, in, in in and that is that is always like like what you were saying about this record, that it's so experimental, but it doesn't feel self consciously experimental. It is truly like, just existing in that genuine, honest way. That's like 
oh, I'm just letting my fucking freak flag fly, and I am going to throw <laughs> all of these ideas at you, and I am going to present them as if they are pop music, and so much of it manages to actually fit into those forms, but it never feels like Eve is, like, concerned with how you, the like, like you are saying about, how we were saying about how it doesn't feel like, the record doesn't feel like it is trying to announce like I am Eve to more great artist of this generation. Here is this my... is this is my grand coronation no, to to like... historic label Warp yes. Records. <laughs> it, it feels it feels like Eve to more is like I would be doing this if anyone was watching or not in a way yes. that is like very satisfying. And what they are doing is they are exploring every corner of their sound, not in a. Um, here is my CSV resume of what I can do as a producer type way. You know, <laughs> cough, cough, magic one of tricks point never cough, cough. Oh, I like uh, that album. Oh, I do. I'm... I also like that album. But no, it no, no, absolutely but... fucking reads as the, the resume album 100%. No, exactly. Check it no, out. I, mean, I worked with David that... Byrne. That's really cool. Yeah. I'll see you later. <laughs> what I think that album just slightly managed to transcend that only in that. I, I love that album as a metatextual work about the work of One yes. Point Never. Yes. Like I think that album is him playing all of the different hits of the ten years of his career, not in a um, going through the motions way, if in a way that does feel in the same way that Echo Jams is. It feels kind of yeah, self-critical. He's, he's he's literally doing like radio channel surfing of all of his work. It's meant to it's, exactly. It, yes. It's it's a very uh, it's a very universal act in the yeah. in the American in the consumer psyche. So there, there, are, so there like, are other producers I could think. So of Eve Toomer, Economy of yes. Freedom, is a <laughs> phenomenal. Uh, song. It's uh, also incredible it's song. Faith in nothing except salvation. Uh, go to the intro track. Discuss. Oh, one hundred percent. Again, this is where, like incredible. This is screaming. This is screaming teams to me. Um, in yes, the, the best way to like blown out resample brass stuff. It's just like again, this is just like a genius melody line on its own, anticipating stuff that not, doesn't exactly sound not entirely like it, but like. Preparing you for the like, you know where we were when we were getting into this record. We were like, mm-hmm. we heard Limerence, we'd heard a lot of When Man Fails, like I'd heard a lot of When Man Fails You, like a lot of stuff that you weren't sure what a bigger version of an Eve Schumer project was going to look like. And for mm-hmm. it to sound like this is like a statement moment, was like, yes, oh, coming into concrete and real instruments and. Yeah, these, these yeah. first two songs. Well, I want I want to talk good, about good. I want to talk about that actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's where I, I Eve is uh, one of the um, I, I I'm going to use a lot of hyperbole here because it's I do think this is probably my favorite album of all time. I think Eve is one of the most talented samplers slash yes. interpolators slash get yes. a guy on this track to play this line identically. Uh, like yes. to a song that I really liked, guy in like basically all of music. Faith in Nothing except in Salvation samples uh what was it uh Swahili Land, which is it it samples three notes off of Swahili Land, which is like the seven to eight minute uh yeah, it's like Jamal like classic yeah yeah um and uh Eve heard that and was just like I'm just gonna get the trumpet guy from Year Zero. To uh, like oh, that's play so that, sick. yeah, Colin Artope. Uh, all no, not Colin Artope. Who am I thinking of? Yeah. Uh, William Artope. Sorry. Uh... 
for reference, Swahili land. For for reference, Swahili land. The the reason people might know the track other than Ahmed Jamal, it's the the chord line for that is stakes as high. Um, yes. Wow. Which I is see. just like. It's an iconic piece of music for a reason, but like that, no, it's totally. De La Soul, man. We gotta do a De La. Dregs, I'm sorry. Can we do? Can we do a What the fuck is De La Soul? Sometimes we can absolutely do a What the fuck. Quickly looking awesome. over the fact that this song was also sampled by uh, by Ab Soul on the song Show of Love. <laughs> <Yeah>! <laughs> Go listen to our fucking uh, best new pod episode. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh my I mean, god, we're we're Ab about Soul. to do an uh, an episode upcoming called Ab Soul Taught Me How to Think. That is an entire episode we're doing yes! about. Uh, conscious uh, rap, conspiracy rap, and where those two things intersect. Um, <laughs> anyways. Uh, anyways, uh, back to Eve Tumor, because we have so much fucking talk about. This song, so, just, just to get through the, the, the intro, um, is the most Dean Blunty song that I think Eve yeah. has ever made. Oh, but, yes. But I, I think also you just nailed exactly what makes it different, is that Dean Blunt would have taken that horn sample and just, like, stretched it, and, it. and pitched it and looped it. Eve is like, I'm going to get someone to play this and turn it into something that feels like a real band playing it, but is this like, it's still, it, it's still, it's not a remix. It's not a distortion. It's just an honest interpolation. Yes. Yeah. And still uh, sounds out of time and place and fucked up beyond belief in the best way. Yes. yes. It, it, uh, it's, it's phenomenal because I think it intentionally gives up a lot of the game that the middle act of the, mm. and, and like to the last act as well, songs have where it's a lot of it is just interpolating like old records from the eighties and seventies mm -hmm. and like playing them or just like throw like mixing them like shit and just like throwing like a over them. Mm hmm. Oh, it's what, phenomenal. Oh, it's where it's uh, just taking. Wait, sorry. What part did you not understand? I just the, want to be clear. Bit. Oh, well, I mean, like faith in nothing except salvation goes like. Yeah. It it's got that stretchy bass. I uh, thank you. I wanted a longer sample of that so I could reuse it in a. Production. Oh, you fuck! God damn it! <laughs> Okay, that's good. So we move into uh, economy of freedom and honesty, which I would consider like the yes. first, yes, slight the, the first like, the yeah, record. the first movement. Uh, oh my god, the there economy the, of freedom is so fucking. I mean, economy of freedom, like you were saying, like you were saying that this record is really about traversing from that sort of one and economy of freedom essentially does that in miniature where the song starts out in this very abstract sort of electronic lane that is uh very much kind of reminding me of like the cordless record from last year like this sort of deconstructed like there isn't yes. really a center to it, it but then all of a sudden halfway through the track the, the the beat just snaps in and all of a sudden it goes from being this like abstract electronic piece to it becomes a clams casino song and i yes. think that's that's exactly like when you were saying that like eve is one of the best samplers ever i think eve is one of the only people that i feel like learned the lessons of clams casino correctly essentially yes <laughs> uh I, I wanted to speak to the first half of economy of freedom because like there's there's such a fantastic like impact and release to it Yes. Uh, you you were saying it's this is this is like the dream goal of somebody that opens up like a coreless song in uh, like FL Studio Ableton yes. or is like all right I'm gonna add sound impacts to this exactly yeah, we're gonna get yeah. it, we're gonna get it popping and it it does it perfectly it's just like.
Yeah, totally. Like, and and the Coreless remixes for that album, like some of them are really good, but it's really hard not to obscure the original quality of those kind of abstract tracks when you're just adding a beat to them. But I think this song Mm -hmm. does it in the most beautiful way where all of a sudden when the beat kicks in, like all of the textural elements from the first half of the song are given this complete new context and feeling and weight to them in just like the most satisfying way. And I think that's what Eve is doing on this record is not saying like, oh, I'm going to do a record that jumps over from ambient to pop to all these things. Eve is like, I'm going to put these things on a continuum and I'm yeah, going to show you the... that like, like gender, I'm going to explode this fucking shit <laughs> and just oh, like yeah. show you how it's all existing along the same spectrum. Uh, and honesty, honesty is so uh, cool. It's, the, the way I describe it, it's lurid. It yes. is. Honesty sounds like a blood orange song that is like underneath a frozen lake. Is how I would describe <laughs> it. Yes. Oh no! It sounds it like a cl- it sounds like a club that would exist at the bottom of blo- a frozen lake. Yes. In a, exactly. In a no. Yeah. Um, playing it blood is orange. Yes. Sex hey. Um, just Dear God. The, the thing about this is just like this was probably the first moment on hearing honesty for the first time was the first moment where I was just like not only is Eve Chima a, a fantastic like arranger and sampler but clearly an incredible songwriter like yes. honesty is a drop yeah. which just like has one of those like hypnotic like endless looping chord progressions that you just never really find the outside of um it's genuinely magical like I I, I think this is where it starts to like you, you hit an ascension point here where like songwriting kicks in on top of the um, uh, on, t- on top of the, the like just rearranging stuff and I I cannot say enough good things about the way that this like turns just into a fucking like electro bridge <laughs> oh I, I exactly like the second half of the song is like like you're saying the chord progression is so hard to grasp and like like if you can't find the where it starts and ends and it's so kind of dreamy and spacey and like and like almost feels like it's like you're saying like it's sneaky how good the songwriting is on this record but then it always with all these songs especially these first couple ones it's so it's so telling that the record starts with these progressions that creep up on you and then immediately after that is when the record starts giving you the instant gratification versions of what you were just hearing Uh yeah with the, the run of tracks in the middle that basically makes up the weird spine of this record where all of a sudden for three songs, uh, we are introduced to new Eve Tamor, the, the post safe in the hands love Eve Tamor, who is a fucking rock star in addition mm-hmm. to being one of the best like sound craft producers in the world. Like Noid, like what a fucking like, Oh yeah, I'm, let's I'm, let's just let, well. I mean, we can go right into Noid looking at Orchid and Lifetime. Yeah, let's That's, just do it. Let's just smash in. I mean, like if we don't have like because like like what a fucking like you think we say we call this a transition record, but there is no transition. Like the intro of Noid drops, and you're like, oh, this person knows how to make perfect pop music. Turns boom, out, boom. and it's about uh. It's also a perfect, like, one of the most uh, resonant, I think, um, like, kind of anti-police violence songs of this period of time, too. No, genuinely, Mm -hmm. like, this is an earth-shattering track where, like, I feel like there's a smile on their faces, they're performing lines that, like, absolutely make me sick to my fucking stomach every time I hear them still. Like, I, I genuinely do not 
know how to square this 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 track in particular, but it's to be honest, it's this and Lifetime together as a pair of tracks are just like two of the most yeah. emotionally like right, I say revolting and it sounds like a bad thing. I think I revolting in that sort of like it makes my stomach churn because I cannot resolve the way it presents itself with the content at all. And I've never been able to, and it's going to stick yeah. with me forever because they're perfect uh, in the way this, that they are. This, like, this, completely this, undecidable. Yeah, this three track oh. stretch is um, one of the most just unbelievable runs of music on an album that I've ever heard because you yep. get Noid first, which is unbelievable. And you get Licking an Orchid, which is like this beautiful kind of ballady song but also like the way it just dips into the noise elements with the james k feature is just like absolutely sublime by the way the the james k ep from last year did either of you listen to that the zero i I, I peeped i peeped a little bit of it really I, really yeah. really good the, there's yep. a song with eve the first song but uh the track ultra facial is incredible the whole thing is really great highly recommend checking that out but um, you have those two songs, which are both like, like no way to be could talk for an hour about that song. It's fucking jaw dropping how, how, br- like you're saying, how the brightness and the, the lyrical content exists side by side, but it doesn't feel like the stereotypical, Hey, ya, like, Oh, this happy song has surprisingly sad lyrics. It's, it's something different than that. Like it's something that is like trying to find genuine, not catharsis. That's like the wrong word. Um, I don't Can know. I, Go ahead. Uh, okay. It's here is, here's obviously, I don't think Eve was like going into this with this. I, I, I get something very, uh, this, this is going to sound insane. I want this to be very clear. Go ahead. This is like, this is like Eve tumor doing like a pub shanty. I, I get I, what you mean. I can imagine like five drunken guys like skipping down the the walk, saying, "I can't be the only girl for you. Wanna hold you yeah. closer? Can I take you home?" It's 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 very it's it's not playful, but it's 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 sort of fun. Like it's yes. it's it's very like adolescent trying to uh, like be something for somebody else uh and then uh like uh james k plays the person responding to that and and i mean all three of these songs are incredible and the first two i think are so great lifetime might be yeah like one of my favorite songs ever yes it's really really oh thank god this 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 might be like my favorite song ever and that's crazy because never in my entire life would i think a song it's it's a softball pitch a song where james ferrara was playing the same grand piano line for like uh four minutes i'd be like that sounds terrible what the hell (laughs) but but it's, it's the best like piano a- line you've ever goddamn heard. And it is one of truly one of the best drum loops I have oh my ever God. heard in my goddamn life. Yeah, like it's the, the right the, answer. It's, it's just it's the drums.
every every single every single hit of the do do like every single hit is just like perfect like every single tactile moment of it just hits in exactly the right way where it's like I could hear this drum loop just repeating over and over itself for literal hours before it would start to get numbing as opposed to like some beats that if you listen to it for even a minute or two too long all of a sudden it starts to sound like off but like it, it, it's just the exact right calibration of it sounding live and sounding like it's being played by a person while also having this cascading loop feel yes. to it that is just like fucking witchcraft like what the there hell is, there it's there there it's a uh... When you get to the, um, oh god, feedback from, I'm listening to it right now. So it's so good. Torture. Yeah. I miss the days out in this game. Yeah, this, this is like, I, I think my, my favorite, brothers. like, like I said, there's, like, pop song rating. Like, there's, there's, it's, this is such a fucking like Super Saiyan 3 ass song. It really like, is. Just like, the fact that we're talking about this, like, fucking incredible tumbling, like, uh, body shaking drum loop and the like stunning expressive songwriting and then you just get to the line give me three more weeks to sort this out i swear I'll oh my god line. crazy i um, i just like fucking full body crumple every time I yeah hear that line. It's... We, we haven't even gotten to the, the song in this record that like fully fully destroy destroys me we'll get yeah. there no, for, but, for um... me it's a lifetime because i get the like knowing there, there's no it's no there's... feels somehow like dispassionate in that like I, like it literally the line is they call it sickness PTSD depression safe in the hands of love that's why I feel the pressure um like the that like that is a line that, that's a chorus that like fully confronts the like distasteful like the way that you have to emotionally react to trauma by distastefully laughing it off like that's a song that feels like the wide-eyed smile comes from a place of terror and like trauma whereas lifetime yeah. feels like Whereas Lifetime just feels like it's full of that, like, desperation. Like, you know you're in a shitty situation, you're trying to work it out, and it's not fucking working. Like, yes. the, the amount of times that I've heard the paraphrase of that and felt, like, the desperation of someone's voice cracked while they're trying to say, I'm trying to I'm trying to get my shit sorted, but it... I'm trying to be better. I am yeah. I am trying so hard, and, 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 and I am failing. Just, just, yeah, like, like you're saying, Noid is the, the, the smile that you have to plaster on just to get through safely and then the way that lifetime is like just the, just the lament is the lament of that like the, yeah. the and i miss my brother's refrain that just comes back over and okay. over just yeah can oh. i before before we Oof. before we leave lifetime i it's i need to i think i might be the first person in the world to mm -hmm. say this um uh so it's part of a larger statement that i think is affirming but uh, okay, so the video, the From Software video game Armored Core Four Answer, uh -huh. has a, <laughs> has a song uh, written by uh, FromSoft veteran uh, Koda Hoshino, uh, Cosmos. This is this is the song that plays during one of like the crazy epic boss missions. I want you guys to hit play on it and go anywhere, anywhere in the anywhere in the song. Okay. Yeah. This sounds like... Like, it's... I, I don't think... I don't think it's intentional. I don't... But that's Lifeline. Like, that's... It, it that's kind of, Lifetime. It, it, it's a lot more, like, uh, 
metalcore-y is how I would it describe is. the it drums is. of it. Like, it, it, it definitely feels... But, you know, we, I, I would have never th- thought to think of Lifetime as metalcore-y because literally everything around it, it is so against that sort of sensibility. It is. But it, which is why... I, I, can, I can now imagine, like, a metalcore or, like, th- that kind of drummer that has, like, a million kick drums or whatever doing the Lifetime drum beat. And now it kind yeah. of makes sense to me. That's the thing. Like, yeah, no, I, if so, Lifetime was written in 1998, it would sound a lot more yes. close to this. Yeah. So, I... Mm. Here's, here's what I want to say. Uh-huh. It's and th- this is th- this is where I'm using every single ounce of my clout. My I know this guy who knows this guy who knows this guy. Power. If you are listening to Hot Singles and you know Eve Tumor, <laughs> get Eve Tumor to score a fucking mech anime for the love of God. Dig on yeah. Just or just just license license this entire album. License this entire album. Let Have faith enough. The, let, license their entire fucking discography. Let, license the entire discography. Please, I, for the I, love of God, it's you need you need somebody that does like sick ass fo- like the like the craziest rock music of all time right now. It's like for when your mech goes berserk. Load up faith in nothing except in salvation when it's like when the dummy plug in uh, Ava Rebuild Two activates. Oh, or, like Oscar's going through like hell and shit. Uh, it's get get life time. Like there's like, like a mech exploding. Ass, you need the the, the the guitar solo from Kerosene. Like it's. Yeah. <laughs> I, Do it's, it. I, 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 how has nobody like thought of this before? I feel like I'm going crazy because this is this this would be like such a perfect layup. Hey, and there's there's boo, a sonic boo, 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 footprint boo, boo. here for Cosmos. What? Uh, have you since the last time we had this exact conversation considered making just the best AMVs ever? No. Yeah, that that's probably the solution. Uh, to this. Oh, I. I, I did want to say it's uh, I did mention this I I, I, I tweeted about this a year ago, uh, Eve Tumor Heaven to a Torture Mind Gospel for a New Century is a literal translation of uh, Shinseki Evangelion. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Which is fucking awesome. It is, isn't it? It's uh. you could. Th- I'm, what I'm saying is this is right here. This is I, like this. I'm not kidding. You're not crazy. This is money on the table. Okay, anyway, so, uh... <laughs> hope and suffering, escaping <laughs> oblivion and overcoming powerlessness. How the fuck did I forget that that's the literal translation? What? I know, isn't that crazy? Jesus! So, hope and suffering, escaping oblivion and overcoming powerlessness. Uh-huh. Um, uh, I, I sent my friend Paul this album because I was, I was like... I don't think I, I... I didn't know you, Jackie, but I didn't know you very well, Regs. Hmm. Uh, when this record came out, and so just to to place context, so, to be clear, also, I, the thing that needed to happen before we got to know each other properly was I played Fate Stay Night. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, do not do not get me thinking about Eve Tumor scoring a VN. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't get me thinking about that. He literally, so, uh, he literally makes placid like chill out beats to help. Nope, 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 nope. So hope and suffering, escaping oblivion, and overcoming powerlessness. Uh. Where I was as a human being was that I was sending this album to everybody who had two ears and a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. I I was like, please, this is this is fantastic. Please listen to this. And I sent this one to my friend Paul, uh, who is very mildly Twitter famous, letterboxed famous right now. Uh, and uh, I sent this to Paul. And Paul was like, girl, what the hell you just send me? What the <laughs> fuck? Yes. Th- 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 and this I, is I, definitely the, the, the like sticking point of selling people on this record. Which is crazy because this shit is awesome. I mean, if if it is the second point, they're weak. 
They are weak and will not survive the winter. It, this is this is uh, this is like Super Saiyan God Super Saiyan for interlude gang. Yeah. It's it's a five minute interlude, dude. It's crazy. Just like gore. They, 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 they do gore on this song. Yeah. Like it's the, the the descriptions, the sonics, the the ranges. It's just deep physical imagery. And uh, to to button on the uh, Radiohead analogies of uh, the first two records that we talked about, this is fitter, happier, but like trans and angry. Yeah. It's I, also that, a that million times out. better. Yeah. Like. One hundred percent. Stunned again, shot again, machinic, unconvinced. Yeah, I I love this song, even though like, I will admit that in a lot of the time, if I I'm throwing this album on, do I listen to all five minutes of it, or do I just jump ahead to the next song? Like sometimes I do. I'll I'll, sometimes... I'll, I'll be honest enough that like I do, but I I don't think that it's like unnecessary at all. It's so sometimes it's when you put on ho scaring music, the ho you're scaring is you. Yeah. That's that that is what I have to say to that. No, it's, totally. It's, I, it's again. It it is like fitter, happier. It's it is a phenomenal anchor to what this record is trying to say, yes. and uh, as an art statement, I think it's really powerful. And like it's it's it is literally incredible on a first listen. Totally. But yes. it's uh, when I when I know that uh, recognizing the enemy is uh, right the along side. the way. I'm like, man, I want to just listen to that. Yeah. Recognizing the enemy, uh, just to get to this now, uh, yeah, this is the song that I was listening to over and over and over and over again when I was having the, oh no, I'm trans and I have to deal with this now, uh, a month, yeah. um, or, or, or however how long that was. Uh, this is, like, I think the single most profound song written about dysphoria ever, ever made. Yep, yep. Um, and it just... It crushes me every single time. I think the moment that the drums kick in on this song... The drums, uh, and like, the, the, the album builds around that moment of catharsis on recognizing the enemy. Like, structurally, it it's the most important point on the whole record. And I would agree. And it's crucial that that, like, first kick and snare hit each are, like, absolutely, like, earth-shattering. And they are. Totally. They just, they just are. So good. Yeah. Oh. Uh. Uh, uh, it's because uh, the, the, the drum line for the first, Jesus, like three and a half minutes of this is like a, it's, it's, it's either not there or it's just like a, like a building, like marching band line, like don't, 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 and then it's like, oh, fuck, I'm the enemy. Boom, boom, good, 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 the fact that, yeah, like, the... The perspective of this song and the way it's written is so fascinating because mm. it's unclear whether this is a song written to someone else or this is like a dialogue between two different parts of, of Eve Tamor. Like, you look so different, you look like someone else, it hurts so much knowing I couldn't help, removed a part of me inside my own living hell, I look so different, I look so different inside my own living, which is like your, like... Oh my God! Fuck Jesus Christ! Like, 
like talking to yourself as if you are a different entity and also recognizing that you look and feel so different inside your own head than you do with your body and treating your body like it is this separate entity like it is all just fucking packed into the song that is in a similar way we were talking about with the uh the first record we're talking about, like, there are not a ton of lyrics to this song. A lot of it is repetition. A lot of it is built around a couple of particular turns of phrase. But I look so different itself is such a profound phrase and how it is so succinctly able to, to, to literalize it in not even a very subtle way. Like, I think this is one of the most mm-hmm, literal... No. One of the most literal and honest and open songs on the record, but it's just... It's just so fucking brutal. It's just, it's beautiful. It's one of it's my favorite awesome. songs in the now, record. Even though this is a song that now, now that I'm like a full year and a half into transition, this song unfortunately now has the, has has the unfortunate association of I will never not be able to hear this record without thinking about like the first couple of baby steps of the trans era of my life, <laughs> and particularly the fact that I um, real not. I, I got to the point of, like, okay, I'm finally going to start coming out to, like, people and my parents and stuff uh, right before the novel coronavirus happened, and I came out to my dad literally the week that the novel coronavirus happened. Like, I, like coming out to my dad as trans was Tuesday, and the world ending was Friday. Oh, um, So, God. like, forever... Uh, for, like, Jackie, why did you cause COVID? Li- literally, I, I literally tweeted this a, a little while ago. I was like, I should finally come out to my parents. What's the worst that could happen? The world will end? Uh, Jackie. M- monkey Jackie, you ended the world. Come I on. I did. It's my fault. I'm sorry. The- oh, but, my God. But, but like, recognizing the enemy is a song that now forever is going to be one of those songs that is just, like, a little bit tied to that period of my life. But I also like this song because even though it's wallowing in pretty much the deepest pit of, like, what dysphoria does to your sense of self that there is, it doesn't feel like a a song of, like, victimhood. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't feel like it is entirely about like I am I am suffering because of this. It's what it is is what the title is saying. It's recognizing the enemy. It's it's the part of transition that is learning that you have that part of why you are suffering is learning that the things that have been implemented inside your own brain that you didn't even realize were put there that you didn't buy into but were just sort of conditioned in you and learning to recognize that part of you recognize that it is not you and then learning to remove it from yourself and move on past that and and that is what this song is it is like as much as it is this this morning of the fact that Eve Timor looks in the mirror and says I look so different in my own head it is also about recognizing the part of you that, that is mourning that and learning how to, how to live beyond that and let the lioness in you flow freely. Yeah! Uh, like and then the, the, uh, the uh, fuck yes, bitch, swag, swag. And yes, essentially, yeah, to... the, the, the ending of this record uh, is, is 100% like... In, in a weird sort of way that reminds me of, like, records like Kendrick Lavar's Good Kid, Bad City, where the album ends, <laughs> and he's like, I'm going to do a victory lap se- and end credit yes. celebration. But I just rocked your I mean, entire fucking world, bitch. But this, this, is, this, is, the, like, this is the trans version of that, where... But yeah, where no, literally, the, 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 the victory lap version of this literally involves, like, dancing on the embers of the world. Like, it is... 
Absolutely. Oh, 100%. I mean, let the lioness in you flow freely without skipping over all the love we have now, which is a good track. But the problem with me, with, with all the love, is that, like, it's a very good track sandwiched in between two of my favorite songs literally ever made. Yeah. Um, and so that's my, my struggle with that one is just that it is, it's one of the more kind of going back into a kind of honesty mode of like this kind of hypnagogic um, mm-hmm. uh, sort of release. And it is helpful in the flow of the album as a sort of transition in between recognizing and let the lioness. But the moment that the drums on let the lioness kick in, I start, I start becoming a fucking feral animal. This song has some of the coolest drums I have ever heard in my entire life. When someone who assists asks me what your gender is, I say it's the the cymbal crashes from Let the Lioness and You Flow Freely. That is my gender. I identify as (laughs) 1,000 cymbals crashing at the same exact time. Um, Like, I just think this song is so fucking sick in that the way it, it envisions this kind of empowerment as not like a... Um, uh, empowerment core let's rise pop song but as the end of the world like you were saying like envisioning ultimate empowerment as ultimate destruction Um, and that being this sort of beautiful metaphor that just sort of takes everything that you liked about this album and then just sort of rips through it like taking the, the kind of drum aspects of Lifetime and it's like okay now what if we crank these up as loud as it could fucking possibly be and just like like and have it keep it just keeps hammering and hammering that drum part over and over again until it becomes like this almost euphoric like state that it lulls you into in a way that is so it's kind of like the song before it all the love that's sort of like hypnagogic and repetitive but in a completely different sort of way like aggro as opposed to placid God, what a song. What a fucking way to end an album. Like, are you kidding me, dude? I, I know. It's, I'm listening to it right now, and I'm just... I'm, I I hate to keep saying, like, Super Saiyan. This is the one that over time... That is the filter for insanely dope emotional resonance and beast mode swag in my head. I, I understand uh, where I'm, that. I'm, just, I'm literally just like, Argh, yeah, yeah, yes! Uh, that that is exactly this whole that's exactly clenching and like, terror and ecstasy the whole way through the last two the last yeah the last track and, yeah. oh my god it's beautiful <sighs> I'm, um, I'm just in letting this like blast over me it is so fucking and, and then the first the verse Dude. look how far we've come but I'm still finding myself in your moonlight like, yeah what the fuck and I thought I needed all of these things to keep me pleased elevated by bullshit born ruthless and greedy and I thought I needed. I'll be the one to hold you tight. I can give. I can be the one to give you peace of mind. Let me be the one to hold you tight. No other girl is gonna treat you right. Ah, oh, let me be your angel fire. Let me let be your me angel be your one angel. angel fire. That's what an incredible way. Let me wait. be your angel one and. Yeah. It's it it's awesome. literally uh, one of the coolest things that anyone's ever done on a record. And as I as I like come back to this record more and more, like obviously the first thing that kind of clicked with me was those first couple tracks, like Economy of Freedom, and like mm-hmm. the, as you're sort of just started, like digesting this record the first time, that's kind of the stuff that you're able to make the most sense of, just because it's like. <laughs> 
I, I think it was the Pitchfork review, Jason Green saying that the jump in ambition on this album is disorienting. And that's exactly correct. It's like your first time through, you just need to like soak it all in and you only inevitably get like the poppiest moments. And then as you keep coming back to it, like different corners of it keep revealing itself to you. And it, it over time, it feels less and less like a jumble of different ideas and rather feels like a collection of variations and in different interpretations on what is a profoundly cohesive single idea and 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 deceptively so and that is the the thing that has made this record feel even more untouchable as time goes on yeah. i think is it's that like what felt it, like a miracle of tones and genres uh collapsing in on each other that somehow worked uh, over time it becomes more and more apparent why it worked because you start to understand the like undergirding um relationships that all of these different sounds have to each other and how it's all being tied together by this one person's auteurist vision of it. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, quite simply, the emotional through line is far stronger than the aesthetic ones. But then oh, 100%. Make, uh, the, it almost makes it, like, laughable. Like, why do you need to turn yourself to a rock star? You were a very different kind of star of a different... Yeah, I I, a, I kind of agree with that. There almost was a a, a little bit of a letdown. I mean, I and, love I mean, all of the posts. Yeah, like exactly. I haven't like, to mine is a fantastic record, but just like the singularity of identity wasn't the thing that was like m- like missing mm-hmm. from Safe in the Hands of Love because it had an absolute singularity in terms of like approach to subject matter and material, like this like almost yeah. abusive and cannibalizing attitude towards like the rock samples and interpolated bits and pieces. Like, that is, like, a thing that has defined Ichima since, like, they started making shit, like, a full decade prior. Um, but then the, like, common attitude that, like, ran through the kind of, like, wider desperation of Noid through to the, like, intense vulnerability of Lifetime through to the way you deal with it or recognize the enemy in Lioness. Like, it's there. Mm-hmm. It's there. It's so present. It's surface level this is not attempting to hide itself from you it comes and then, in different like you're forms, saying like it's, it's the, right the aesthetics there. instead of the aesthetics as you take it in the first time you're so focused on like all the different genre things it's pulling from and all of the different kind of sonic textural elements but then as you really digest the songwriting in the most beautiful correct idealized artistic sort of way all of the different aesthetics of this el- album start to feel like extensions of the emotions representations of the emotions well, and so the I, animations of go- them they're, they're like it's it's not exactly i, I don't want to leave it a representation specifically this- because like this is like the animated way that like the the thing gets life it's breath it's like given breath by like an artist like doing the thing it's not like this is this isn't like gesturing towards it it's inhabited and that's exactly. what makes it feel so like present and real and often terrifying is that it's like exactly it's there yes. with you every time you're with the record because like you feel the like yeah the the presence of it in a very very and the emotion sense. the emotional core is so clear but is also not um, didactic or simple yeah. like it is so nuanced and complex and like you're saying like something that I I find so much about trans experiences is that like so much of the way that cis people want our art to be is like this very didactic, like trans equals sad or trans equals good in like the most didactic sort of ways. And the way that this record is like all of these different feelings and emotions and conflicting things that are all cannibalizing themselves. 
uh, and that that is reflected also in a musical style that is both embodying and exploding and uh, taking apart the 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 discarded remains of genres and reassembling them into these Frankenstein monster creations. Like all of that feels like such a natural extension of this person that is. Uh, navigating their their identity in a way that is not i mean it's such the, the really like cliche lame way to say it is like this album transcends genres and also the gender binary but it's like but that's kind of what it's doing is it it's does saying, like it all of these does. things are all all of these things that like all of these things that we have like 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 genres and ways of talking about things like they're all languages at the end of the day like they are all systems of like symbols and semiotics and what this album understands is that they they can all be used in like different ways like the the language and the semiotics of different genres like combining them not as a way to like put two things together, but to understand that they all are doing the same thing. And then if you really get under the hood, you can find ways to connect them. Yeah. I, I think it's the only reason like uh, people like say that on records is because the record makes it easy mm-hmm. for yes, like exactly. for that, which totally. it, th- that is, that is not the statement of the, that's, that's not the entire statement of this record at all. Yes, I don't, even I though don't it's think. not a like wrong interpretation. So it it, it feels yeah. it feels inappropriate to to pen this in in that way. Mm-hmm. But the mm-hmm. record, but like it it does do that. Like mm-hmm. it literally does. Like it's it's God, man, this fucking album. The the idea of like the ultimate symbol uh, at the end of this album being the lioness the idea of of like of being powerful and feminine at the same time and having it be this this fucking aggro blown out distorted thing i mean it is the perfect representation of of the like oh, i'm forgetting the exact uh you know that one trans dj memes account that's like the really pr- like super colorful text like the top and bottom text and it's like i am oh, a trans woman here is the, the loudest sound you've ever heard in your entire life like this is a version of that but i i think it's very different than the like black dresses version of it you know what i mean yeah. like mm-hmm. there's something that is soft about the let the lioness and you flow freely even though it is so like pounding you over the head with with, get, with drums uh, <laughs> drums yes mm-hmm <sighs> yeah, yeah. Something for oh, what a record what what, a, what a, and what, also yeah. like even yeah, though God. like eve is continuing to do more and more exciting things in the world of like more recognizably pop music and i think particularly even though i loved heaven is a tortured mind i think the asymptomatical world ep demonstrates that eve is finding increasingly cool ways to continue doing this kind of stuff within more recognizable structures. Like, I, mm-hmm. I think that that album is a little more uh, classically pop in the way that Heaven to a Tortured Mind was, while also working in, like, secrecy is incredibly important to the both of them, is, like, maybe one of my top three or four favorite Eve to More tracks, because it's essentially, like, what if Eve to More block party? Yes. And I was like, say, say no more. <laughs> say no, say no more. more. Like, Jesus. I'm on board. But, yeah. But... Um, I, I do like that as the kind of post-safe world has expanded, like, it started as feeling like, oh, this kind of feels like like a step backward to kind of simplify things in this way. Over time, I, I think they've been able to find more and more power in that simplicity and in that 
not conformity, but you know what I mean? Like in that, uh, working within those structures that are going to reach people in that sort of way, like songs like Jackie and crushed velvet and stuff like that, that are just like undeniable fucking pop songs that do still have aspects of what makes safe in the hands of love, such a special record. Yeah. God, like I, I don't think it's, it's an, uh, like a, an error to just see it's, see part of this is like <laughs> the girlies need an icon <laughs> like i remember what it was like going to the eve chima show in london last time i was there and like absolutely packing a venue out full of like it was very very weird like a third the sort of like relatively straight mix of like pitchfork knowledgeable indie fans skewed quite young mm-hmm. but still and then just like one of the blackest and queerest crowds I've ever seen at a, like, firstly, a guitar band show, because it very straightforwardly was a guitar band show with, like, guitarists with, like, long mullet haircut on the balconies of the venue, like, blaring out the guitar solo to Kerosene, mm-hmm. among others. Um, the... Yeah, just, like, the energy of that, like... I don't know if what they want is a uh, is like rock stardom. Whether that's a thing that serves them, I think it's something that absolutely serves their audience. In the same way that like I think Rina Sawayama like functions as an icon because like we were ready in some quarters for a different kind of pop like pop star. I think Charlie filled that billing for a bunch of people as well. Like there is a need for a kind of icon to like project a whole bunch of bullshit feelings into, but that like, yes, there's something absolutely. that like. Uh, I, certain kinds of icon can like manage and do really careful and tasteful and artful and fucking powerful and confrontational ways. And like, hell yeah, that's a legit way for your artistry to go. As much as we might love the like astonishing degree of like, you know, the the like combined confrontational but like bare bones intimacy that's happening on social no, totally. life. Yeah, yeah. We have to we have to wrap things up, but we I do. just wanted to springboard off of that real quick before we leave. That uh, your your description of the Eve to More Club is, uh, show is now reminding me of the Yule after show that I was at this past weekend, which might I mean I didn't think I didn't I didn't go to the Yule after show expecting like there's going to be straight people here. Like I knew what I was getting into. <laughs> uh, still, might be the the gayest crowd I've ever been in in my entire life. Like I said. Um, to friends the next day that it literally looked like the Twinks versus Dolls cigarette race meme that was going around on Twitter (laughs) in there, uh, where essentially everyone in there was like either a gay guy with their boyfriend um, or a a doll. There was like a a trans woman that was like across the, the, the like center in the round stage from me that was wearing like a whole ass wedding dress. Uh, the number of spiked collars I saw that night was, like, in the double digits. And then, like, exactly 5 for t- to 10% of the audience was either guys that were clearly just electronic music dudes in t-shirts or boyfriends of goth women. Yes. Uh, and those two categories of, of guy that were there somehow ended up there um, for whatever reason. Like, I salute you for, for, for sticking it out and having a good time while all of the uh, gays and dolls were screaming at every single movement that Yule made. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That was, that was a great experience, actually. It was very fun. Hell, yeah. 
Um, but yeah, oh, thank you guys. Thank you guys, A, for having me on, and B, thank you guys for letting me uh, make your long podcast even longer somehow. I don't We're, know how we are I do literally it. just about to hit three hours. Yeah, on no, I do think so. It's like we've had long pods before. I don't genuinely think we've hit three hours before. So, congrats. You, you, you take those places. Yes. Yeah. I, 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 I pride myself on breaking length records wherever I go, whether it be <laughs> publications podcast like my my I, I write sometimes for Mary Ground magazine among other places I write and it's like an independent blog that we have which you should check out by the way there's lots of great writing on Mary Ground by lots of great writers we do culture coverage music stuff all kinds of stuff but my friend who's the movies editor there like I texted him when I was working on the Ethel Kane personal essay I wrote there I was like I've got another 5,000 worder uh, on the way and he's like you are single-handedly the reason why we are having to increase our data caps on like how much what <laughs> how much storage <laughs> our website it's like you are responsible and I'm like yeah yeah I know but hey I, I appreciate that I have venues in which I am allowed to just go off and ramble oh, and and i'm i'm happy to be uh joined here with you all on this podcast it was a it was a hoot we had a fun for time. sure uh Absolutely jackie enjoyed. speaking of those avenues where could people find you online that's a great question you should follow me on twitter.com uh at horse underscore jeans that's a good place to just keep up with uh, my inane thoughts, but also whatever whatever I'm up to these days, writing, podcasting-wise. You can go listen to the Indie Heads podcast. We unfortunately just had our, our, our feed got fucked up because the... Pod, the the service we were using FeedBurner to upload our our podcast to multiple platforms like just like stopped working, um, and so oh, we no. kind of had to restart our RSS feed from scratch, which is really annoying. But um, you can look us up on Spotify, uh, and our recent episodes will be up there. And if you are looking for older material, it's all up on YouTube, and most of it's up on iTunes still as well. Uh, we've been running for a really long time now, and our podcast essentially evolved and mutated many times over the course now. But now it's very silly. Uh, we just did an episode on middle school dance classics from 2008 to 2009. So I, I transitioned from talking about Flo Rida for two hours the other night into talking about <laughs> this, which I think is very funny and a very succinct summation of my brand on the internet now, I suppose. But yeah. Succinct? You, you, you can, like, I mean, th those are, succinct is not the right word. Uh, <laughs> I know, like, I'm just, I'm giving you shit. Essentialized, like, the two poles yes. of my brand is The, the duplicitous edge on where, yes, on which the, Jackie lays. The two wolves that are raging inside <laughs> me is complete fucking the two gay dumb wolves. bullshit. Exactly. The two gay wolves, and occasionally they kiss, but they feel a little awkward about it. They do. All right, Alexis. let's stop this before we hit three hours. <laughs> Alexis, where can Alexis? Where the hell can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at regression with three s's. Don't forget the third s. Uh, it's called fantastic. Uh, Boo, where are you on the internet? Uh, Boo Cannon at uh, gone. Um, hey Boo, do you know what you're bringing? Yeah. To next episode. Hey there, listeners. This is Alexis again in the editing suite, and I'm here to tell you. The next episode, I won't be on the podcast. Instead, Buchanan will be joined by friends of the pod, Hannah and Mark. And they'll be talking about three albums. Lupi Fiasco's Tetsuo and Youth, Linkin Park's A Thousand Sons, and Flying Lotus's You're Dead. How fun. forward to it.
Hell yeah. Okay, bye guys. Bye. bye. End it. End bye. it. Bye. 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 Don't let I me love talk you. more. Bye.